This week on Invasion, the podcast, the hunt is called off. We interview Ash Crowlin about his extreme horror novella, Birthday Girl. And we bust out the Netflix uh, Amazon Prime Wheel of Death for our 200th episode. We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. The arrival of a spaceship. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. Flying saucers have invaded our planet. People of the of tension. It's the invasion of the podcast. The whole world is under attack. Can it survive? And welcome to Invasion of the Podcast. Uh, where we try to take over the world one listener at a time, and by that count, we should have at least 200 listeners, but that's probably not accurate, because we have 200 episodes, so 200-ish episodes. We've done more than the numbers, You're but saying we've got 200,000. listeners, yeah. yeah. We're taking over the world two million listeners at a time, yeah. I am Paul, and to my left is Steve. Hello, everyone. And we have an interview coming up tonight with uh, Ash Crowlin about his uh, novella. Uh, it was a fun interview. Uh, it did take... Uh, some some leaps and bounds of technology to make it happen. That was uh, frustrating. Not on his part. It was a fun interview. But man, um, just when you think you got everything figured out, technology just comes and kicks you in the you know the hoo ha, and that's it. You know, so the hoo ha. The hoo ha. Good word. Yeah, and the hoo ha. You know, I, you make fun of me for some of my things I say, like where I say something's a hoot. And you're like, is it a hoot? I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Like something. Like, like I, I don't know what that well, means. You also Does say it- things that are just. It's fine. <laughs> that's my yeah that's my uh it's probably not it's either a hoot or it's fine yeah I, but i don't know what a hoot really means does it mean like i'm so like i've enjoyed something so much i just sit back and go hoot. like i don't know what that it's just it's a hoot you know um especially when i'm when i'm not putting garbage places so um yeah anyway that was a bad joke that was not a hoot uh so uh, yeah, so we have the interview coming up a little bit, and we have a uh, celebration over two of the episode. We're bringing back an old feature that we've not done in quite a while with Netflix slash Amazon Prime Wheel of Death, and we'll talk about that and what Steve put me through. Did I live? I don't know. Tune in to the end. Maybe I'm maybe I'm disembodied and talking now. Maybe this is the last minutes of my, my brain death. I don't know. Oh, God. That's, yeah. that's far darker than I intended this to go. <laughs> It'd be like, what's your last thoughts, Paul? It's not a hoot, and I just fade off into existence. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Do you see a light? It's not a hoot. It's fine. It's fine. fine. <laughs> it's fine. Like, uh, so yeah. Um, so this weekend, I'd say, what do we do over this weekend? But Steve and our weekends kind of kind of collided. I had my uh, my yearly um, uh, festival of physical feats of strength uh, out in the park, and people joined me for the Stegcathlon, which I, the name's pretty catchy. Don't know where I come up with it at. Uh, it was the sixth, sixth year of it. People went out. We just It was an adult field day. And by adult field day, I mean grown-ups, not like as in like super sexy field day. That'd be weird. <laughs> like, I did not get the invite yeah. to that that party. Yeah. It's like, what's the theme this year? Eyes wide shut. <laughs> like, uh, the code word is Fidelio. Yeah. It's like, that's what the wheelbarrow race is way different. Um <laughs> Oh, that's a great joke. I love yeah, that. Uh, so, uh, 
yeah, it was fun. Everybody like our theme was ninjas, and we ran around, and you know, no grace, no agility. Some people more grace than agility than myself. But Steve was there, and um, even though I, I know we forgot. Uh, did you post the picture of the puppy? No, okay. I didn't. I posted yeah. it oddly enough to the group before the event. Yeah, but, but I forgot to. Yeah. We still got to make sure you get a picture of the puppy up on the Facebook page because that's what we talked about how we missed last week because I was prepping for that, and uh, you were you know with the puppy. Yeah, with uh, Mr. Bosco. Mr. Bosco. Uh, Mr. Bosco King the Third. I don't know what that means. Uh, and you brought you brought your puppy and your older puppy, and you stole the show. Like everybody stopped what they're doing and came over and pet the puppy. I stopped what I was doing and came over and pet the puppy, as you do. So you won the day by bringing your puppy. Yeah, yeah. I I normally don't like to you know I don't think of myself as popular, but if you want to be popular, bring a puppy somewhere. Bring a gold sh- retriever puppy yeah. anywhere, anywhere. I should have totally done this when I was single because like everybody was all over me, and I, I'm not I'm not even you know discriminating male female I all takers they are all over me yeah so. well it was an adult field day uh, yeah. so uh no like you get the puppy have it for a few weeks it gets a little too big you trade it in for another puppy that's uh <laughs> there was a uh Sarah live skit called kittens forever did you ever see that <laughs> No, <laughs> like every six weeks a new kitten arrives and you just exchange the one that you had. <laughs> I, that's why I always would I'd make the joke about like I want to do like a kitten cafe where you come a kitten torium. People come play with kittens and then have a sensible lunch. And then when the cats get a little older, don't ask about the sensible lunch. Like it was like a horrible <laughs> thing to say. Um, yeah. So but yeah, you stole the show with the puppy. And at one point you're like, watch out. There's a puppy between your feet. I look down. There's this little fluff. It was gorgeous and cute little dog. Yeah, um, he's a uh, he's. <laughs> He's utterly uh, cute in the sense that, like, he's that. He's one of those things that you just look at and you're like, oh, like you just your heart melts anytime you yes. see something that cute. But at the same time, he's got an incredible knack for like finding the most inappropriate place to stand at any good time. It's like, oh, were you gonna walk here? Uh, let me get right in front of you because I'm 15 pounds and you're 300. Uh, <laughs> and then I usually end up like throwing myself into a wall trying to get around him because I don't want to, you know, step on him. But yeah. uh, uh, he's he's such a good little boy, and uh, we're still going through the potty training stuff and. Uh, we Mary just hasn't started... even broken me yet, so I get it. You know, like... <laughs> We're still doing the, uh, you know, uh, he just got introduced to the dog walker this week, and um, so he's 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 getting into a routine routine, which is good. So, um, not that this is going to be puppy talk, but it is going to be puppy talk for a second. You you said that possibly with with your older dog, who's a year old now, um, uh, Bruce. Uh, I, I'm using the dog's real names. I hope that doesn't bother. Like, I hope you're not like, you know, like paparazzi where it's like, no, and like get to put a black bar across their eyes. And like, people cannot know these things. Um, was he ex- excited for the puppy? Is it like, is he happy to have a, have a, a pal? He is. He is. Uh, it's, it's funny though. Like he loves his brother. He loves having somebody to play with. He's, he's, he's gentle sometimes, but sometimes I think he forgets that he's, you know, Eight times the size, or something. And he's only a year know? old. He's, yeah. a, he's a huge dog. So he know? still thinks of himself as a puppy, and uh, in which he technically is. He's he's only a year old. He's still pretty much a puppy. But uh, we did. We have a, a nest cam set up, and uh, you know, my wife had caught video of after we left for work yesterday. Um, puppy was in. We've got a crate for him. Bruce was outside the crate, and he was literally like just taking toys and like rubbing them up against the crate, sort of like I've got this toy. Look at me, I'm free, and like just tormenting poor Bruce. He's just laying there, like you know, this expression of like I hate you. 
But uh, maybe he's trying to share, but he can't get through the, the cage. Maybe that's no, it. because he he doesn't. Uh, all toys suddenly have become Bruce's. Oh, uh, of course, it's it's yeah. interesting because he's only ever had an interest in uh, um, balls, and whenever I ever say that, I always just automatically turn into a 12 year old but actual physical <laughs> tennis balls slash um you know anything round shaped uh is his bag but suddenly all the other toys now are his interest so wait wait well. let me refer, let me just catch what you just said you said balls are his bag is what you just said <laughs> yeah <laughs> this has gotten very blue balls I, are just, his uh, thing baby. i didn't even mean to say that either i just said something that, never mind Go, continue so but now every toy is like his to yeah okay. so if Bosca's playing with something he comes over and wants to play tug of war with it or steal it um and uh for the most part though they're they're really good uh playing together and you know Bosco's going to grow up and probably be as big or bigger than him so like enjoy it now yeah, yeah. I, was, I was just imagining uh, Bosco going up with like a, a metal like a metal cup up against the bars of the cage <laughs> like, oh hey hey new fish what's going on uh oh so at least I mean there's going to be a adjustment period I, not the same thing but when we when we got the the newer cat um because the older cat you know he's been around for like 12 years and he'd been around other cats but it was funny because i was like how are they going to how are they going to get to get along with each other and i've never heard him hiss ever except that once and i'm like this may not go well and then <laughs> i think it was just his reaction of like i don't know you and then he's like oh whatever and that's that but it was just like okay i don't know if this is going to be something but anytime he's like you know 10 years older than the other one I see him play every so often, but the moment he grabs anything, she has to go over and instigate. And it's like, I think it is like almost like a territory dominance thing, but he is so lazy. He doesn't care sometimes. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's cats, not dogs. But anyway, enough uh, animal talk, but yeah, Steve has a puppy and it's cute. Um, And I had people running around a park and uh, get hurt and fall down and stuff like for my amusement. That was the plan. Um, (laughs) That makes it to sound like I was like just having people like just be like, okay, you guys got a 10 second head start. I'm coming. But like, which would be very much our first news story we're going to talk about. But um, so uh, here's the admission. Um, you know, I don't like get around to watch. I mean, I watch a lot of like stuff. I don't always watch a lot of series consistently. I'm just bad because I'm playing video games all the time. Uh, I found I started watching. Um, do you know Angie Tribeca on uh, TBS? I do. Yeah. Have, um, you, have you watched it? I haven't watched it, and I don't have a good reason for why. No, no. There's no. Not. There's like it's on TBS. You know, there. What and it's uh, Rashida Jones. It's been around for four seasons. I don't know if there's a fifth season, but I'd watched the the pilot a long time ago, and I, did, I was just like, yeah, it's kind of. It feels like Naked Gun Light. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's like that with sight gags and everything. And I was like, but the, the seasons are like 10 episodes. Each episode's like 20 minutes. It was like the perfect, like, just put on and not think too hard about it. And it was, have you ever watched something that you're like, I don't know how I feel about this, but you just kind of keep watching it. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how I like, so now I've gotten to the second season and you can tell that they feel more confident. So there's, there's more of an overall story kind of going through the episodes. It's still ridiculous, but you don't feel like these 20 minute, like clipped, like bites, like you're at least getting some longer narrative going on. So it's starting to feel a little better. Not that I need my comedy to be serialized, but I think that lets the jokes kind of grow a little bit more. So it's starting to come around. Like, and some of the guest stars just surprised me who they get on this, like weird little police procedural, making fun of like CSI, like the first season, almost every episode started with someone screaming like a CSI show. And they cut to a cop always in a precarious position, screaming about something like holding like a cup of like a pot of coffee, like at the bottom or their, their hands stuck in a file cabinet. Um, but Alfred Molina's in it. Okay. Uh, he plays like one of the scientists in the crime lab. And every time he shows up, it's like, he doesn't always just make me laugh, but it's like, you're 
you're Alfred Molina. What are you doing in this? And he's just, <laughs> it, like, there's just all these just different gags that he really leans into that you got to appreciate. I thought you were going to say, like, every once in a while he has, like, robot arms attached, well, attached to himself. Well, kind of. There was one whole gag where he's, uh, he comes down, like, he has a cast on both arms and he can't do what he's trying to talk about. Then he just shakes off the cast and goes about what he's doing. And then another time he walks down where it looks like he's wearing, like, this overcoat with, like, his arms are missing and he's trying to, like, you know, do whatever. But then eventually he reaches an arm through the middle of the coat and just grabs what he needs it's like i don't know why they're doing this <laughs> but there was a gag involving a dead body in the second season where uh adrian Scrabecca walks into the forensics you know the court the morgue right and he's like just laying beside this dead body like nothing sexual but it's almost like he's just like just like sleeping on the like the table with this old person and he's like oh, oh and he gets up and talks to her like to angie not the dead person and then she's like, okay, I'll see you later. And she goes to leave. And then she forgets something. She turns back and you see him about to get back on the table. And he's like, <laughs> it's like, there's no explanation. And that's the kind of show. And it's like, it's Alfred Molina. Like he's like, like an established serious actor. So yeah, it's kind of winning me over. The first four seasons are on Hulu and they're just a breezy watch. So that's what I've been watching is Angie Tribeca. Also, there's a dog. I, I, I was a cop with a, a dog partner, but not like a canine, but he's a full fledged, like part detective. The dog is a detective, okay. and it's like this German Shepherd, and they just have him. It's an actual dog. <laughs> like, <laughs> so if that has not piqued your interest, you should. You yeah, should check I, out I'm going to have to check that show out. Give it a little bit, and then like some of it will start coming around for you. So, All right. Yeah, that's that was my big thing. Was I've been watching Angie Tribeca. Yeah, I mean, for me, over the weekend, um, I watched a few things. One of them we will not be discussing until next week, um, but uh, I did buy the movie Hellfest because it. If you if you bought it digitally, you got like a five dollar coupon towards scary things to or scary stories to tell <laughs> in the dark, and uh, I will I will talk about that in our interview. But uh, I have not seen it yet. I'm I'm still interested in seeing it. But Hellfest was one of those movies that, and it wasn't like it got great reviews anyway. So it wasn't like I had high expectations. But I I thought it was actually there was a lot of good. Um, I don't want to say meat on the bones because a lot of its atmosphere, it's taking place during a uh, sort of like a hollow weekends type thing at Cedar Point. Although it's not even Cedar Point, it's a a roaming sort of haunted house with a roller coaster. Well, there's no roller coasters. Oh, I, thought, uh, I, I mean, there, there's a, like a tunnel of love type roller coaster. I swear the like trailers a, I saw like an actual amusement park with a roller coaster. Um, I, yeah, if, if there was one, I I clearly missed it. But well, um, Good. That was going to bug me of like, this is a sudden attraction. Give us two to three years to set it up, though. Right. Um, but what bothered me was is that things that were holding it back were just small details that they... I, and I still don't understand how this happens in a film, other than like a lazy writer. Uh, character is in a bathroom. She thinks she's being stalked. She texts somebody. She hears the ping go off that that person has been texted. Okay. Sends another one. Hears the ping again, and she realizes, oh my god, something's happened to the person that I thought I was texting. Because the phone's that nearby. Has that phone. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then she immediately goes to call nine one one, and she's unable to make a call. <laughs> And I'm like, you just set up the precedent that she's able to text. And it's not like, oh, she's on Wi-Fi or anything no, and, like that. But of the two things, the one thing that should be working is the direct immediate 911. Because any phone yeah. you pick up, I mean, I understand that there's connectivity issues sometimes. But that's like the one thing you should be able to do with a with cellular phone is make a 911 call. Right. And yeah. I was just annoyed by the fact that I'm like, you just literally spent this whole scene 
her using her phone. Yeah. And she's in the same spot, and then her call to 911 doesn't work. Yeah, that's So there are details like that that I'm just, I was, I was just really bothered by. Um, so yeah, I mean, I... I now own it, so I'll probably revisit it again at some point. But I was looking for something to get me into that, you know, Halloween spirit as we're getting ready to ramp up. And no, <laughs> I'm already, you know, I don't know why I need to be ramped up. I'm already there, but no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, Hellfest is uh, one of those ones that if uh, it comes on, you know, Netflix or something like that, and you're looking for something, you know, uh, your mileage may vary. I was just, I was disappointed by bad decisions that were made writing wise um because i think it could have actually been something really cool so. okay and and so I, I say this being full aware that we just did an interview of someone that was wrote a horror novella so i'm mm-hmm. not being like, you're like i'm getting the halloween spirit like no we just talked to somebody that wrote a horror book and it's like i'm just saying no because it's it's august you know, I know. And just ah, um no <laughs> paul uh, folks paul has a thing about letting seasons be seasons, seasons when they're seasons, seasons. and yes. it, for him how, how dare i halloween should begin october for or not halloween but the the preparedness for it should probably begin in october like 29th is, of october no. <laughs> whereas for me i've already bought like two halloween decorations already and i'm i've already been to a spirit store and so where, yeah. where is not that i care but like i like Do you want to go you want to come with me yeah, I want to go to a place <laughs> that has weird, weird, um, like humidity because uh, they always find these like, like you know, stores that have been like you know. Well, it's uh, they're all popping up now in like Toys R Us slash Babies R Us. Of course, you yeah. know. Uh, and I just want to go and smell that latex smell that makes me get queasy after five minutes. Can we please go do that? Because I cannot handle that. What do you think, folks? Road trip? Yeah, we'll record Let's, Paul in a spirit Halloween. It'll just be it's it, fine. It'll just be me holding my nose the entire time. It's <laughs> like it's just you know. Anyway, I I get it. It's fine. It's oh, I did it again. I did it again. No, it just it was not even August yet, and I saw the the fall beers and Halloween candy and all that in grocery stores, yeah. and that is frustrating to me. And then did I buy some? Um, I absolutely get your point. Did like I buy I, some Southern Tier Pumpkin? And did I drink it? Yes, I did give in because it's a wonderful beer, but it didn't it didn't need to be available then. I, I absolutely understand your point. Uh, for me, it's just it's sort of like I don't know. I it's my favorite holiday, so. You know, by the time Halloween actually comes, I'm exhausted. Um, so it's a long road to Halloween. But I, right now, I'm like, and I hate summer. So as soon as <laughs> as soon as we can get rid of the stupid humidity and the varying temperatures, like I, I'd I'd be happy uh, with just you know nice cool sixty degrees. And yeah, but then the, we'll the, get about a week of that. That's and, what I said. Then it immediately bottoms out and becomes like you know yeah. Satan's icy butthole for the like for the I next get like it. six months. That, I, I just yeah. I just take enjoyment in your you know anger over. Uh, <laughs> it's not even anger. It's just it, well, I mean, yeah, like I don't I don't know. Like you could you could testify to this too. The older you get, the more you turn around and be like, Jesus, this went by fast, and yeah. I don't need a constant ticking clock of like what's coming next. Can I just other have than, that moment? Yeah. You know, like uh, what I was gonna say. Other than the grave. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I get it. Like we're racing towards it, right? Full speed. Uh, this is getting gloom. It's fine. Uh, so it, but 
I don't like just proper place. Like I'm, I'm not a big, like I, Halloween's a fun holiday. I, I do. I, I celebrate it versus some other ones. Right. I uh, like, I'm not a big Christmas guy. Like my wife loves Christmas and if she could put the tree up right now, she would, and it would be frustrating, <laughs> but, and that's fine for her. But I just, these people that immediately just want to shove the other thing out of the way to get to the thing they want. I'm not saying you're doing this, but I, I but I know like I have friends at work that the moment it becomes like, you know, like um, not even September 1st, but like right or like after that Christmas stuff starts rolling out and I'm like, why are we such a hurry to get there? You know, you know like, what? This is a perfect time though to promote this weekend. I'm going to be at the haunted garage sale <laughs> yes. uh, in uh, Bay village. Uh, so this Saturday, August 17th, come see me from 10 to f- uh, 4 PM. Uh, Bay Village. I'll do another bumper at, or another bumper. I'll do another. Uh, um, we'll, we'll, we'll plug it. At the we'll end. plug it again yeah, at yeah, the yeah, end. Yeah, yeah. But just in case you guys didn't hear it the first time, so like if you go to this haunted garage sale, like you you it's not it's not horror related, but everything there is possessed by ghosts. That's really what it is. It's a real Friday the Thirteenth the series type vibe. You know, wow. <laughs> yeah. There you That's go. That's a deep cut. Yeah. Uh, all right. Yeah. Enough about uh, about all. Let's just get to let's just get to some news and uh, yeah, let's do that. everyone i figured for the tour of the show we just like not me press a button wrong how about that like all my, right my transitions were terrible but that's that's part for the course here on invasion of the podcast so uh i made the joke kind of earlier about uh chase free people around a park and have them be injured for my my enjoyment I didn't realize that was like saying that in relation to this story so recently and i'm sure you guys are all aware not that we're the breaking news on this there was this the what was it, the not this it was last sun wasn't no wasn't the Sunday Sunday previous? I think it was where there was it would the have been two, the weekend between the weekend, our yeah, shows. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when there was the the double mass shootings in and um in Dayton and and um San no not San Antonio El Paso El Paso. I was almost going to screw that up. And so there's a lot of conversation right now, and I feel like there's a lot of different conversation right now about uh, what should what what we should do as a country to correct this. Um, however, there are situations where people that don't necessarily want to speak to what the this is me getting political. Uh, where I feel like the majority of the people want to have the conversation, there are people wanting to shift it to something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you may disagree with me, like that not you, but I'm saying in general. We could have that discussion. I, I am not as well versed. I just you see, you see the same things happen over and over and over again, and you're like, okay, but what are we going to do this time? And I think people are getting tired of the, you know, the cycle that's been happening. However, there is a lot of knee jerk reaction amongst other people to say, but what about this? And there was a film from Universal. I think it was a Bloomhouse production. Yeah, called The Hunt, and which like it's. It's a it's a riff on the haves and have nots. It's it's it feels like it's very much in line with like something like the purge, where you know the people that have um, that have will hunt those that don't, and it, it is it is being very sharp in its commentary and it's making you know it's a horror film, but it, it's trying to say something as heavy handed as it probably is. It's trying to say something, mm-hmm. and it caught the ire of certain people in charge. And now because of this, at first Universal was just canceling like all the advertising for it, and now they've canceled their lease of the film. Um, I, 
I disagree with this. Not because I had any particular desire to see the film. I don't know. It might be okay. It might be. It might. It might be a terrible movie. Maybe people wouldn't see it because it's a bad film. I don't know. I hate to say it. I mean, as somebody who loves all the stuff that Blumhouse does and gives them major props every time they do something different, uh, this movie was not on my radar until this happened. Unfortunately. Yeah. Well, it, I mean, it's not the same thing. But whenever there was the big hack of Sony by North Korea because of the interview, yeah, and then that got kind of it got played in some theaters, but it immediately kind of got dumped on the uh, streaming, right? Mm-hmm. I think more people went out of their way to go see it because it was taken down as opposed to people actively wanting to see it. And did you see the interview? Did you watch that? No, no. Um, it was okay, but it wasn't great. I've been burned by Seth Rogen one too many times. Like, in real life, with a cigarette. Yes. No, sorry, with with the, with the blunt. Like, it's like, <laughs> you know. And he, you know. He just has that Seth Rogen laugh of the whatever that is. Uh, the <laughs> whatever. That's my Seth Rogen. That's a terrible impersonation. Uh, but yeah, I just, if, if they feel like that this movie is going to, it's a Blumhouse production, like what's the budget on this? It can't be that much, right? Like, I mean, Blumhouse's, I think tend to range anywhere from like a million to 10, depending yeah. upon what the release is. I think, I think last year's Halloween was still only like nine. Yeah. And I don't think this has the same thing. Yeah. Like, so I, I think I, I don't agree. I don't agree with the canceling of the film. Like, do I feel like. Are there certain films that are coming out certain times where like, yeah, maybe you shouldn't do this? Like in terms of all the mass shootings, I think that Death Wish should not have been remade. I think that was probably kind of tone deaf because uh, I feel like that that story is telling the story of someone who's taking the law in their own hands and going out and actively committing acts of you know vigilante justice. And you're supposed to be sympathetic to them. You know, like, I don't know. I think that's a little different. This was like it. It would be like saying you can't release a purge film. I, I, I just. Maybe I'm. Maybe I don't have the vocabulary. Maybe I don't have the depth to talk about this. But it bugs me that um, we are we are not allowed to make the choice about what what media we decide to support with our money because someone was upset about a film they haven't seen and misconstrued it and wanted to to use it as a bludgeon on an issue that that really is not related to. You know, mm-hmm. like that's. That's frustrating to me. Like, if it was a movie about like, hey, we're, it's a movie about like mass shootings where and there's like high school kids, like that, that bad idea, you know. But I don't think this was that, you know. And and maybe in and like I said, maybe the movie's terrible and it maybe it needs to be shelved. I don't know. I feel like this could be one of those things that's going to be put away for like a couple of years and then get silent, like slowly released out to like social, not social media, but like streaming platforms. And people will be like, oh, that was what that people were upset about, and it's not going to be much of anything. Um, I don't know what your thoughts are. I'm, I'm, I'm sure we're kind of aligned and people's reaction to news and how, I don't know, like, uh, entertainment, like how do you react to entertainment in the wake of what's going on in reality? Like, should you, should you limit people's access to things? I, I don't know. Like, what were you like? That's not even a good question for you, Steve. So answer it and make me feel better about me asking it halfway. <laughs> um, I will say that, yeah, you are correct in that our, our feelings on the subject is aligned. Um, and not to turn this into, you know, a political topic show, but it's kind of hard to ignore this at this point. But we, we do cover a lot of. You know, I, that's all we do, actually, is we cover, you know, pop culture news and, um, big events that happen within the culture. And uh, I think that the overreactionary... Uh, oh gosh, I, I saw a meme that kind of summed it up best. Um, 
it was it said something along the lines of uh, you know blaming gun violence on video games is my least favorite '90s nostalgia comeback. <laughs> yeah, um, and I I absolutely agree with that sentiment. I feel like we look at everything but the actual. There's one common denominator in all of these these things that happen. And we're unwilling to at least talk responsibly about that one thing. And uh, it always goes to something else, uh, whether it be uh, a mental health issue, whether it be people say that violent video games are causing the issue, or a film that was released inspired this to happen, or plays upon those same ideas. I It, it really bothers me that uh, people use those things as a scapegoat. And if they are generally... I, I would be more willing to talk about that subject if we were able to talk about that other subject that just gets pushed under the rug. Yeah. Well, okay, so with you being a person who is a co-creator of a comic in which there is somebody that murders people, mm-hmm. uh, do you... If someone came to you and said, hey, this isn't appropriate because I knew someone that once murdered people. Like that's not, that's not the intent of you writing. This is you exploring the story. And I'm pretty sure you haven't murdered somebody. If you have, maybe you shouldn't say it on this recorded format, but you know, it just knocked twice. If you have, no, I'm just, uh, but I'm saying like, <laughs> like y- you've never, you've never done it. You've never like been to like, to the, the, the razor's edge of like, I'm going to kill this person. Like I could like, this is just this you're exploring the story and characters this is not you trying to act out some type of power fantasy this isn't you being like here's my manifesto that i'm going to i'm going to enact every saturday night good luck finding me guys dumb digitally you can find me here uh you know i don't i think that you as a creator of of i mean it is violent content but not every frame's violent but like this this has to probably bother you maybe more so than someone like me where all i do is blab from a microphone you don't see me you know my stock and trade isn't a story in which people are getting hurt, you know, mm-hmm. and that's not, and your goal isn't to glorify violence. I know that, but, right. but that's the lens. That's the, that's the path you're taking to tell your story. Look, I mean, there are always facets of any entertainment that I think, you know, yes, could be taken completely wrong. You know, I mean, boy, and this is not even a close, close as in, um, texturalizing it in the context of the story, but, um, you know, you look at, you know, the effort that has been made to reduce smoking on TV and in movies, um, because people were worried that that was influencing, you know, smoking trends. And I, you know, I'm all for that. Um, but they're also <laughs> that, uh, how do I put this? I, that level of censorship when it comes to, um, saying what people can, can and cannot, uh, have, or just, taking it completely out of their hands i think is a whole other ball of wax like well, I, I i think that you know you can't the, the the you can't be responsible for what the viewer takes from a movie a tv show a comic any sort of entertainment that's fair i will say like with in that regard though that you know if you normalize something like that and you have like actors crew exposed to all of it that's uh, undo, and then also if it's like part of every single scene, every single thing, then that does become part of like, well, that's accepted, and I could see something like that. But this, but your example though makes sense. It isn't like um, it isn't like every single like it isn't like we're watching a you know soap opera and the person's just like 
Jim, I have to tell you my feelings about you as they're cleaning their AR-15. You know, it isn't like right. that. It isn't like, you know, them all being like, hey, can we go out to dinner? Like, only if we could seal and carry. Wink. You know, it isn't like, you know, like, so I don't think they're normalizing it the same way. Um, however, I see your point. I, I do think that limiting someone's ability to tell a story the way they want to, if there is a reason to do it the way they do it, then you need, like, then that should be heard. Um, I guess what I'm frustrated with here is that you, you, don't get to tell me what I choose to consume. So maybe if it's a business decision by Universal, it's like, you know, in the long run, they're going to save money by not putting this out. Fine. They, they can add the numbers. But if it was a matter of someone taking their film that had not been seen yet and saying that, well, this is what's going on, I don't I don't think the pre-censorship, I don't think that, I think that's the problem I have with it. You know, like, if it, you know, it's, it's, it's a thorny issue. And I have a degree in communication that I'm not using and I'm sitting in an office, sorry, slash tiny, tiny bedroom and on a, you know, a split level house talking about this on a Wednesday night. Who am I? I'm not qualified, but it bugs me, you know, and I should, I should not be not allowed to, right? That's a double negative. I should be allowed to choose what I want to watch and whether it's something like H.G. Tribeca or if it's the hunt or it could be freaking, I don't know, um, a Serbian film, which I will never probably watch, but that's people have talked about that thing being like horribly rough to watch. Yeah. But I can't tell somebody they shouldn't be allowed to watch that. You yeah. know, just regardless of how my feelings might be about it. I don't know. It, it's, it just bugs me that this has happened. It keeps happening where other people are going to feel the brunt because something is being mis, misconstrued and um, the conversation is shifting disproportionately because they don't want to talk about the big thing. Yeah. So. And I, I I keep hoping that we're going to stop repeating these same, I don't even want to call them mistakes, the, the same cycle. It is a cycle. Um, yeah. And it's... It, and we're not, unfortunately. Well, and like, and to speak to this a little bit further, and again, I know you guys sometimes listen to us because we make jokes and we're not joking right now. Uh, don't worry. I'm, that will come soon, I'm sure. Uh, especially the next story I have, too. It's not a fun one either. So congratulations, guys, on picking episode 200 where shit gets real. Uh, so I, yeah. Please, please title it shit, it gets, shit, shit gets, gets real. real. Two, yeah, episode 200, shit gets real. <laughs> it's like, it's like, guys, everybody out there, it's time to take your baseball caps, turn them around backwards, and sit in a chair that's flipped around and just talk truth. Now, um, like Walmart also made a decision in the wake of all this to, to remove all violent video game advertising, but yet they're still going to sell guns. You're missing the point, you know, and like, but they're kowtowing to people that are yelling loudly about these things. And it's, it's, it's just frustrating because again, uh, it's not the same story, but it's been pointed that video games, like you said, are causing this and, and multiple outlets are like, there's been years of in-depth research and there's not a connection. Just like you write a book about a science slasher. It's like, I never text you on Saturday and be like, where are you at? He's like, can't talk right now. Slashing people. Yeah. Okay, cool. Sorry. <laughs> you know? And like, I play overwatch, which we're going to talk about in a second. I play it so much that you don't see me running around outside. Just like, you know, trying to, if my overwatch skills translate to real life, I'd be dead three seconds walking out the door anyway. But the point is that I'm not running around just trying to score as many, you know, kills and assists as I can, just, whatever. Like I don't, you don't, it's, we understand that bridge and, and there's a handful of people that don't and they need that help, you know, but yeah. it's a, 
Well, I also, I also, again, I go back to people who are way smarter than I am and are able to, uh, you know, verbalize their feelings, whether it be in joke form or not, on these topics. I think of uh, David Cross, I believe, who I mean, at one point said, you know, remind me again what uh, what video games Hitler played. <laughs> you know, uh, remind me, you know, what movies uh, caused the Civil War. Like, there have been horrible acts of atrocity throughout time, um, and... <laughs> the things that go into those acts uh, were certainly prevalent before we had violent movies and comics or comics and video games. Sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, right. So, all right. So, um, not not. I don't think it was the right move for the hunt to be to be not released. So, it, yeah. That's that's the moral of that story. And there's no moral. It's just it's frustrating. It's just another. Yeah. You know, I mean, we're both not sitting here saying we have answers. It's just that we're both frustrated no, and it's, trying it's, to. You know, talk about it because it is part of the culture right now. It's part of it's, it's hell. It's been part of the culture for twenty years now, at least, right? So, but yeah, invasion of the podcast. We don't have answers. That's uh, the thing we should also say. Like we just we ask the tough questions. Town <laughs> shit talk. gets real, aka we don't have yeah, answers. Yeah, town talk with George. That's where we're at. So, <laughs> all right, next story. I'm just gonna. Uh, so Steve doesn't know because about this because he, you know, the last video game he played was the same ones that started the Civil War. No, that's not true. Uh, so Overwatch, uh, which is a game I play often, and I, um, <laughs> they did an update recently uh, where they added a new character, which we'll talk about in a second. But I don't know if this has been a constant. Uh, but I saw over in the one corner, like in the options, it shows you like hours played, and I'm just like, huh. <laughs> <laughs> I did the math. It's not a good number. So yeah, I've played the game a lot. Uh, yeah, um, uh, let's just say that I could have played this game now for one full calendar month. Like that's a lot of time playing this game. And I'm not getting any better at it, but I still play it anyway. So newest characters released this week. His name is Sigma. Uh, he is a Dutch scientist. This is the story that trying to discover uh, like some wonderful uses for gravity to harness it like a weapon. And uh, he his mind gets torn asunder because of this, right? Okay. So his here's the characters. I'm showing Steve the pictures of him. Um, and so you see, like, okay, this is what this guy looks like. He looks kind of a badass. Um, anything odd about the character? Well, he's he's not wearing shoes. He's not wearing shoes. That's that's important. Uh, so. Uh, whenever you get to the, the, they talk about the art team when they're doing the research, like for what they want to make the characters about, because his mind was torn in two, he was placed in an institution and, um, they said, well, and a lot of inmates, like not inmates, but a lot of patients when they're that, that far gone, they don't let them wear shoes because they could use the shoelaces and hang themselves. And so his character specifically does not have shoes. And so the question is not even a question, like. How do you feel about that as a design choice for it's like, oh, we're having this like game and there's you could have some dark storytelling, but this guy, you know, his, it's science, gravity, whatever. Don't give him shoes because he'd probably kill himself. Well, it's it's an odd choice considering that he's wearing like armor yeah. and a jumpsuit. And, yeah. you know, I don't know what all of those contraptions do that are on him. But like it's science stuff, it's know, science stuff. Yeah. But I mean, it, it I understand having, you know, real life reasoning inform design choices that there's, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I mean, it's the same reason that, you know, whenever they do a Batman movie, they try and make it like, oh, it's Teflon and he's got metal plating and, mm -hmm. you know, the, those real life, you know, decisions or real life, um, you know, impacts those designs, those choices. This just 
doesn't make sense. And oh well, wait till I show you the next two. So there's there's variant skin. So this is his standard skin. That meaning I guess that, if yeah. he was in like just a jumpsuit, and all he had were those two balls that are you know dangling above his hand <laughs> he, he has these two like geometric shapes that he uh, since he they're balls people they're, they look like i don't know they almost look like um christmas know, ornaments christmas ornaments but he could throw them like he could hover them like it's gravity whatever but i mean like, i'm the way you described it was like his two balls he has in his hand no <laughs> they're in his palm and they they're like he could throw the that still sounds bad it's a weapon anyway uh so I, i'm aware of you know magneto i i get the concept yeah, yeah. so what about this skin what do you think about like so? This is one of the other variant skins, and you see, like, okay. it looks like. Uh, it but almost... he's wearing all the other garbage on top of the jumpsuit. I'm saying that if you're going to go that route, you can't have him in all the other stuff. It's just a plain jumpsuit if okay. you're going to go real world with it. So this is it's an orange like thing, and it looks it almost looks like a prison suit, right? Well, let me show you the next one. You tell me. And this the, uh, what do you think of this one, where it is it's pure white. Okay. And what, what's his what's his face mask like? I mean, it's a cross between uh, you know a Hannibal Lecter slash you know half a hockey mask type you know mask. It's and he's still but but he's he, still shoeless. So this skin's called Asylum. So how do you feel that this reflects like uh, you know the, the the whole thing I'm pointing out to you and anybody that's listening? They're like, why are you looking at pictures of dudes? Like that's what we do here as well. Uh, two our episodes that you should know what you're getting into. Um, but some people were upset about like the portrayal of mental illness with this character. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I know you don't play overwatch. I know you don't know the other 20 plus characters and their stories. Uh, just from like, do you feel like this is being insensitive to people that, you know, like if they've been institutionalized, like, I don't know. Like I, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me because this is like, this is like the, you like the, the fictional version of this, yeah. like the, but not like, it wouldn't be like they stripped him of all like the science stuff and it's just him and like, you know, a straight jacket, you know, with soft foods around him. I don't know. Like, I don't know. Like, well, so here's the thing. I mean, when it comes to the actual design, you know, part of the reason that they have the face mask on, at least my understanding, in inmate is because of the fact that they could potentially bite you. Or yeah, they're violent to others. They're yeah. violent to others in that sense, you know. I, just, I don't know how that works in Overwatch. I don't know how that translates, I guess. It just it feels like an odd choice to make. Um, I mean, if you told me that one that was in orange was a prison garb as opposed to, you know, I'd be like, oh, okay, I kind of see that, yeah. you know. But, like, I I don't know. I mean, I don't want to tell somebody, again, how to tell their story or, you know, design their characters. But, again, I just I think it's a, it's a poor design choice. Uh, and while I don't know that it readily you know uh reflects the you know i don't know what you would find if you went to an asylum at this point you know but it just seems like a weird 
tangent to go I th- off I, on. I think that I think more people were focused on the one desire saying, well, we didn't give them shoes because people that are threats themselves could hang themselves. It's like, oh, maybe you didn't need to say that part. Maybe like, well, we didn't give him shoes because he was, you know, institutionalized and these people broke him out and now he's like roaming around Magneto style and doesn't think about it. Because he's kind of crazy, you know. Like, I or think- even if it was just that, like, he floats above the ground the entire time. He doesn't need shoes. Okay, fine. <laughs> That's true. You know, why do you need footwear when you're never touching the ground? You right. Know? Yeah. Um, you know, why does Magneto have boots then? Like, I don't know. But you should probably just get some comfortable Crocs and then call it a day. Um, <laughs> no, I just, I just wanted to get your take just from like a design standpoint. Like, there is some uproar over the, the character designs. However, I will say that Overwatch, not that they're like courting controversy because they aren't. There's other variant skins of other characters. Like, there's the one character um, named Soldier Seventy Six, which is basically like Captain America, but he uses a, like a, a gun instead of a shield. One of his variant skins for the Halloween season is called Slasher Seventy Six. He's basically wearing like a Jason mask and everything, and he. And and his gun has like a chainsaw mounted on it. And it's like, that's fun. But everyone's like, hey, that's not showing mental illness correctly either because we know Jason Voorhees is kind of messed up as an individual. Like no one had, no one questioned that, you right. know? And like, because you could argue that that just from a character standpoint, Jason Voorhees, ha- you know, he has some mental problems, you know, in terms of not, I mean, upbringing, being drowned, coming back, uh, coming back again, coming back one more time, and space, you know, like, I'm sure... I would think that that would qualify for some post-traumatic stress uh, <laughs> syndrome. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I just wanted to get your thoughts and, and actually talk a little bit about, like, design choice, but the fact that they actually have a skin called Asylum and the guy's wearing all white and has the Hannibal Lecter mask. Yeah, yeah it's And a- no shoes. There's only, there is one skin so far he has shoes on, like, there's one. And um, I was like, oh, at least they got one skin that has shoes on it. So, um. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's it just comes off so weird too with the fact that like the rest of him is so armored up. It's like he could easily like you know beat himself to death with one of those things hanging on his arms. Like he's got like a a shoulder pauldron, yeah. and he's got like a uh, sleeve that. Uh, I don't know what you would call that, the, the, but the, even like the, the the wrists are these big heavy metal objects. Yeah, yeah, like if he really wanted to kill himself, I guess he could just beat himself to death <laughs> with that. <laughs> That's true. I, I guess they, I, I didn't think about that, but you're right. So, all right, uh, enough about Sigma and uh, people's uh, views on him. So, Steve, you said you have a story for me. I do. I do. We kind of stepped on this a little bit with some of our Halloween talk, but. I, I thought that this was perfect for you, particularly since you were talking about your uh, pumpkin. Okay. Uh, did I say that correctly? Yeah, pumpkin. Yeah. Okay. Um, oh, this is embarrassing. Uh, it's no longer on my browser. What, where did it go? Oh, no. <laughs> I'm going to apologize for you, uh, is folks. It, is, I'm it, gonna, is it beer-related? It is not beer-related. However, it is uh, a product that is being released uh, in pumpkin flavor. For the holidays, I've already was at the local Giant Eagle and they had the was the pumpkin flavored like nacho chips or something, pumpkin spice flavored. I'm like, you're kidding me! Like everything's pump pumpkin spice. I'm like, it wouldn't surprise me when I recently got my struts out of my car. They'd be like, hey, we have struts and pumpkin struts, pumpkin spice struts. I'd be like, oh, okay. <laughs> so I brought this up uh, on my my phone and uh, we can finally get to the heart of the story. Okay, uh, autumn is coming, so of course pumpkin spice spam is coming. Spam? Yep. Like, uh, so they're gonna be taken two ways. One, we're going to get spammed by everything that's pumpkin spice, which I think is true. <laughs> uh, and then, but this is legitimate, like spam. Uh, that's going to be pumpkin spice flavor. 
What I love about this this headline though is, is the writer was like the pumpkin spice phenomenon died Wednesday at age sixteen. The cause of death was the existence of pumpkin spice spam. Uh, a publicist for Herm- Hormel Foods uh, confirmed to NBC News on Wednesday that the company will begin selling a limited edition run of pumpkin spice spam online at- and at Walmart uh, and spam.com. So uh, September 23rd, get your limited edition. I'm going to show Paul the picture. Christ. Yep, pumpkin spice spam. Well, this truly is the end times. <laughs> <laughs> And this is come for someone that doesn't dislike spam. But at least it's coming out at the end of September. I, but I also yeah right because I know I know Starbucks is pushing up the release of the pumpkin pumpkin spice lattes, uh, pumpkin spice lattes like until like the, there it's coming in August. Like there's just, it's whatever. So have yeah. have you eaten spam before? Yeah. Okay. It's been years since I've eaten spam. Like we used to fry it up in the pan and uh, make sandwiches out of it. But I'm at the point now where I've forgotten what it tastes like, and there's part of me that's like, I should just buy a can to see. And then I'm it's like, it's not you know bad. What? It's as salty as all get out. Like, yeah, I'm yeah. just like, at the same time, I'm like, D- you've left Span behind. It's been you've over left- 30 years. Why go back? <laughs> so I've left Span behind. <laughs> the Steve King memoir. Unless, 30, you know, 30 years I'm, later. Yes. Unless I'm stocking, like, you know, some sort of. Uh, um, uh, not a game room, a uh, uh, panic room, or uh... like everybody would come over. We're gonna play some settlers of Catan and just eat some spam. <laughs> like you can't touch the gate pieces after eating spam, but you know it's fine. I was looking for the word uh, um, panic room or uh, bomb shelter, but for whatever reason, it came out with game room. Game room. I mean, you know, it, you coming it is, over for billiards and spam. It's a game. It's a game of sorts. Um, no, I remember spam. I remember like eating it growing up. Like you're like you just fried up. It's real. Yeah. It's like. It's a cheap food substance, food-like substance. I don't know. I mean, I guess I still eat bologna. Like yeah. bologna is the lowest of the the, the, the lunch meats. meats. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like I, I don't mind spam. I I I know it's supposed to be the closest analog to human. So I don't know what that says about me. Um, <laughs> I would I would I mean I'd eat spam again. I mean you you can't you can't overdo it because I mean. I know I eat badly, and I know I'm going to die an early death because of my food choices. But I feel like that's just sending like a rocket sled to the grave, you know. Like, you know, gre- greased with spam. Maybe like, once a month we'll do like some sort of weird, like almost like Leonard on Community, where he would eat the potato chips and whatnot. We'll do a review of like we tried spam after 30 years, or oh, I almost we tried- bought. Pumpkin. I almost bought you uh, uh, a back-to-back taste test of a Whopper and the Impossible Whopper because <laughs> uh, I, tr- I bought a couple of those last night because I was curious. Yeah. Because we've gotten some of the Beyond Meat stuff before, and uh, we've done, like, the sausages. And, like, they're, it's not identical to sausage. Like, you can't tell yourself that it is because it isn't. But the texture's not – it's not far off, and the flavor's not bad. Like, I like it. Um, and then I was like, I'll try the Impossible uh, Whopper. I honestly – it's been first since I've had a Whopper, but – I, I you, you I would not have known the difference. Okay, it's I, I don't know why that maybe it's because of the rest of the Whopper stuff around it. My but understanding it too is as though it's also very unhealthy as well. Well, I mean it's healthier, and but it's you know, again, anytime you make the trade off diet wise, you can't just be like, oh well, I'm getting rid of this. It's like there's always this balance, right? Yeah. Says the guy who is overweight and I'm you know have my own health problems. A lot of it's because you just don't find balance, you know. So. Every time you think you have one thing figured out, you've got to account for everything else. So, is the is it, are Impossible Meats the best thing for you? No. Is it better than probably eating straight red meat all the time? Yes. Is it better than eating spam? Probably. Is it better than eating pumpkin spice spam? 
a hundred thousand times better. Um, so yeah, that's disgusting. Uh, thanks for sharing that. You're uh, welcome. Yeah. All right. Okay. Enough talk about spam and other things and and people in straight jackets. Maybe I don't know. Uh, we're gonna let's go to our interview with uh, with Ash uh, Crowlin and his talking about writing his novella Birthday Girl. And we had some fun. So bear with it. if there's any little hiccups in there, like. Skype wise, we do apologize. It was it was a pain in the ass to try to put like again, not with him, not the conversation, just technically speaking, it like it to deal with it, it was a fun talk though. Yeah. And now for our feature presentation. As promised earlier in the show, we have an interview with uh, Mr. Ash Crowlin, author of the Extreme Horror Novella Birthday Girl. Ash, thank you for coming on Vage of the Podcast. Thank you for having me, guys. All right. So um, since Steve and I are always so wonderful at doing our interviews with guests and tripping over ourselves, I guess we should just first start by saying, tell us a little bit about yourself and how like your um, like you're like you wrote horror. So where's your horror seeds, your horror background? Well, I've been loving horror since I was a little kid. Um, I think one of my earliest horror memories was exploring the train tracks behind our house with my dad. And he would always tell me the trains were haunted because they're like abandoned. And I'd always have my imagination going because he would describe in intricate detail these monsters and ghosts that were haunting the backyard and all that stuff. And it would just kind of really get my love of horror. And then, like, I would wake up in the middle of the night and be watching The Shining. So I'd see those really explicit scenes and just have nightmares on end. Uh, that was uh, where I got my love of horror from. Hmm. So yeah, that sounds like the scary backyard trains. That's I was not like that was not the answer I was expecting. That's uh, now I'm terrified of trains now. So more so than than trains probably. You know, trains come one way, and you got to get out of the way. Like we just talked about last episode, Steve with runaway train. Like that's a yeah. That's, that's a nice <laughs> I time. wasn't even making the connection. <laughs> yeah, You're like we uh, talked about. I'm like, did we talk about a ghost train last <laughs> week? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> or last last show. So you talk about The Shining. Is there anything else growing up that uh, that you really identified with? Um, things that just shaped you. Uh, yeah, all the Stephen King books and uh, Clive Barker is all of that. I was really big on my childhood growing up, just picking those up and reading them and uh, kind of figuring out how it all works and kind of fast forwarding through movies to the scary parts because we have this uh, video store nearby, a five for five special. And I'd be that kid who was there like every other day renting five movies, just handfuls at a time. Nice. I was kind of the same way, although for me, a lot of times it was uh, whatever was on HBO. So, uh, But I did spend quite a bit of time uh, hitting up uh, the local. Um, we had a couple of different video stores. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the, the, the one that we probably frequented the most was Blockbuster. Uh, but Paul Paul worked there at one point, so I, I, I well, not, tread lightly on it. Not so. at the one Steve went to. Yes, that would make me like <laughs> that make me way older. But that's, we know we're old. We remember Blockbuster. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I mean, yeah, I worked I worked at a video store, so you think I would have watched all the horror movies all the time? You know, it's like working at a restaurant. Like you get tired of the food after a while. So there was some weeks that go by where like you know what I don't need to watch a movie. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. so so I'm thinking of like things like for me like growing up that really I don't know like things that bother me uh this is going to be funny and i think i told this to steve before like the film gremlins bothered me as a kid like big time i don't know why but it did uh there's a certain things that like you gravitate towards so i just didn't know if there was like that one like boogeyman of a film growing up that still leaves you like uneasy when you think about going back to watch it well i know uh, the first hellraiser really scared the crap out of me 
just the guy with all the pins in his head and the chains coming out of nowhere and that really terrified me yeah i mean i, I think uh hellraiser uh and uh you know looking at reading your book uh, i could i could definitely see like that that answer makes definite sense to me um you know in that uh i think for hellraiser at its time was kind of the extreme horror of that day i mean there were other things you know like cannibal holocaust holocaust i don't know i can't speak that's tonight. the podcast yeah. holocaust. <laughs> it's the holocaust well, you know, totally yeah. yeah i mean there were those types of extreme movies as well but i think uh you know of the 80s you know hellraiser was one of those ones that was completely different and sort of far more extreme than some of the others particularly even the second one is is i think even further oh yeah the whole, down the road the whole hospital bed thing is yeah. just messed up yeah absolutely so so um you said you read a lot of stephen king clive barker growing up which, which kudos to you clive barker's dense reading for you know uh, people our age now let alone when you're younger growing up some of that stuff gets pretty pretty thick uh, what made you, aside from the fact that you said you wanted to figure it out, was there just something from the get-go that you're like, you know what, I do want to write, and I need to get to it. Like, what was that? What, what started that process of you wanting to, to go out of your way to write a book? So when I wanted to start writing was when I was a little kid, we would take these long trips, like me, my grandparents, and a couple of my cousins. We'd go exploring around Ohio, like cave systems, uh, train yards. Again, trains were a big part of this. And uh, just places around Ohio to explore and have fun. And on the long car rides, we didn't have like phones and stuff or Game Boys or any of the great technology now. We had Game Boys back then, but they were hella expensive. So and, and I tell pounds. them stories. Yeah. I make stuff up as I went and it'd be really entertaining to them. And every time I stopped and kind of lost my spot, they'd keep asking like, okay, what happens next? They'd be like, on the edge of the seat. It's like, keep going with it. And knowing that I could scare the hell out of people kind of made me really happy. I was like, I can do this. I can affect people. So then um, when did that translate into your writing? Because I know, like, the, so I, I would take it that this isn't the first thing you've written, but this is, uh, like, the first novella size. Have you written uh, things of, of comparable size, or is this your longest work so far? Um, the longest one was 500 pages. Oh, wow. So it's kind of almost triple size of this one. Uh, this one is, I think, the shortest. Well, I've written some short stories, but... I typically go around this for like the shortest, but um, I started like writing these down in grade school when teachers noticed that I like storytelling and they said they'd give me extra credit if I would actually turn in the stories. So I started uh, to write these down and I, I quickly got into some trouble because I would take some of the movies I had seen and just plagiarize the shit out of them <laughs> and kind of mix and match. So they would, I would turn these stories in and they were just so violent for somebody in like the third grade and they would just start calling up parents and after school. They're like, we're a little bit concerned about Ash. Well, I mean, and uh, they quickly got to where they were like, yeah, you got to stop turning these stories in. Tell some <laughs> happy stories. And I really didn't want to. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm just trying to imagine what you were turning in at, at, uh, in third grade. Uh, I'm imagining like uh, you know Nightmare on Elm Street, you know meets uh, you know uh, <laughs> Evil Dead or something yeah. along those lines, and a third grade teacher getting it and just having their mind blown. I a different well, time. One of my mom always brings up when she talks about it was I, I turned it in them first, and then she read it and goes, "Okay, now I understand why you're in trouble." It was <laughs> kind of a, a hybrid of. Edgar Allan Poe's story walled in with When a Stranger Calls, and in the story, that was like two pages in big handwriting, 
which was long for me as a kid. Yeah. It was a babysitter getting stuck in the house and then chopped up and buried in the walls. <laughs> uh, the teachers really didn't like that one. I, I mean, as long as it's grammatically correct, and you know, I think that's what you need to grade on, not necessarily <laughs> content. No. So um, that's what I said. Yeah. So, what was the genesis of of your novella, Birthday Girl? Oh, uh, this one was a lot about just growing up and kind of worrying about. I guess, I guess, like other people having control over you, either mentally, physically. You know, with the government having control over people colleges, institutions, having control over people. And the book is a lot about control. It's this, a demon Magrul shows up, and suddenly these girls have no control over their lives, no control over themselves. Any second, he kind of just take them over. But he doesn't, because he's toying with them. And to me, that's, that's scary, is knowing there's nothing you can do. It's almost like when you have a disease like cancer, AIDS, anything like that, where you are just so out of control with it. Nothing you do is going to make a whole lot of impact on it. You can try and try and try, but in the end, you know, you don't have a whole lot of bearing on whether or not it turns out your way. So with, with that, is are you more, when you think of like like uh, horror and like what scares you, like I know for me, um, I'm not always the biggest supernatural stuff just because I'm like, it feels like some of that's very amorphous, so you can't always like, there's never... It doesn't feel that real to me, but like something that's more body horror or more biological, like you mentioned, like disease, like one of one of the films that absolutely rattles me still. And I love it is the the remake of The Fly. Like, so I don't know if that's yeah. more of like the horror that I mean, there's there's definitely supernatural stuff running through this book completely. But you talk about like lack of control. Like, is that the stuff that bothers you most or is it just something that you want to explore in this book? Oh, absolutely. That, that's the scariest thing is having no control over something because like. If there's a killer after you, depending on how smart they are and how smart you are, you have, you have a certain amount of control over that because you can hide, you can fight back, you have, you have options. Whereas like, if something is taking over your body or you have no control, whether it's like a deity, you know, a supernatural thing like you were saying, or disease, like, it, taking away that control, that's terrifying to me. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think, uh, you know, along the lines of what Paul was saying uh, with the fly, uh, and I can definitely see that uh, shades of that in the book, um, uh, not the fly, but the yeah. shades of of what you're saying as far as uh, not being a- able to fight back or control or be in control. I well, guess like every is time the best you think way. you know what's about to happen, the the rug gets pulled out from into you again. So you're constantly left with like despair, right? So I'm sorry, Steve, yeah. I was, I was no, hoping- that's. I was, I was jumping on your point, but sorry, I stepped on you. <laughs> That's <Sorry>. okay. <laughs> um, no, uh, you know, when you were plotting the story out, I'm, I'm curious, wh- what came first? Was it the idea of Magriel? Was it uh, the idea of uh, Anna and the other girls, Kate and Tina and uh, Mona? Um, how did, I guess, uh, and I, I should probably step back for a second. I don't know that we properly pitched on the book. Do you have a, and I'm terrible at this, so I'm going to apologize for putting you on the spot, but. Yeah, give us um, the elevator pitch. Yeah, give us the elevator pitch on the book. Uh, I'd say elevator pitch is Sawtooth meets Perks of Being a Wallflower with a little bit of Hellraiser. <laughs> I, I mean, that's like a, my two sentence pitch. <laughs> no, I, I like that. It's just like, like he picked the sequel to Saw, which is fine. I just thought that was funny. It's like, and the Perks of Being a Wallflower, which that's wonderful. That's a good mix there. I love it. That's really funny. It's, it's like, like oh, YA extreme horror. It's like Hostel that meets, you know, um, Fifty Shades of Grey. No, I don't know. <laughs> 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 
I'd hey, rather watch one of those movies. They'll make it. Get Rob Zombie on board. <laughs> hey, he's not afraid to film anything, right? Regardless of the quality of the story, right? <laughs> um, so, I guess uh, plot-wise, um, it's these four girls in an orphanage, and they don't really want to be there, but they kind of twin around a girl's last night. She's turning 18, and she decides, even though I'm allowed to stay a little bit longer because the person's making exceptions, she just wants to get out in the world and not rely on anybody else to survive because she wants that control. But then on the last night, they find a game board and they accidentally summon a demon who is just all about the sadistic games. He just doesn't even want to, he doesn't want to rule the world or anything like that. He doesn't want one of those big bad guy moments. He kind of just wants to play around and screw with people. So he puts them through a series of games that are kind of testing them mentally and physically and just kind of exploiting all their personal weaknesses, their insecurities. And all the way to the end, kind of just toying with the main girl saying, you know, this might be why you're here, or is there something else to it? Kind of taking everything that's in the back of her head, all of her worries about growing up and leaving and being on her own, and just using that to his own amusement. Yeah, um, with that, uh, with your summation, um, and that's a far better job that I ever do than uh, trying to pitch my own work, so <laughs> bravo. I'm, I'm always impressed when people are able to succinctly tell a story about what they're working on, and I'm always like, well, it's this, and then it's that, and this other thing and um, five years ago yeah (laughs) uh do you got a half hour here just read this instead um it's like that uh it's like that rick and morty moment where he's like did you have to flash back 10 years yeah it's the idea and you push another staircase (laughs) (laughs) yeah um so uh with that in mind you know uh the question that i wanted to ask about writing the story um I guess what was, I know we kind of covered the genesis as far as like your, um, you know, your taste for horror and the things that, you know, drove you to write. But uh, are you somebody who um, writes from an outline? Are you somebody who um, writes all the plot points down, sticks them up on a board and tries to, you know, connect them together? Uh, Did you know? Uh, where the story was going, or are you one of those people who kind of writes, lets the characters tell you where it's going? I'm, I'm always curious in that part of the process. That's actually a really good question. Um, there's one author I follow really closely. He's a sci-fi and fantasy writer called Brandon Sanderson. And the way he describes it is there are two types of writers. There are outline writers and there are explorers. And, you know, the outline for, like, longer, more epic works is you write something and you're sticking to this series of events like you know exactly where everything is going from the very get-go then the explorer writers you're kind of just going moment to moment you know seeing when the story goes you're really exploring it for yourself and if it changes course along the way you can fix it later if it doesn't work and i'm definitely more of the explorer kind like i'll have moments in a story and i'll write those moments down and if i have to go back later and connect them kind of frankenstein them together i do that or if something doesn't quite fit in, it doesn't belong in the story, and just take it out later. I, I really like to start at a moment and see, you know, where does it go from here, logically? Like, if this happens, what has to happen next? So I don't really know where it's going from the start, but once I get to, like, draft two, three, four, I have a pretty good idea what parts need to be replaced, you know, what parts aren't really logically following others, and what has to be fixed as far as series of events. So how often do you leave uh, your drafts live before you come back and look at them again? Because I know it's easy if it's still fresh in your head. Like, 
uh, to kind of be like, oh, this, this, and this. But I know for me, if I go back and look at something I did weeks or months like prior, I'm like, what was I thinking here? Like, and then have to like, it's almost like having fresh eyes. So how much time do you let stuff lie before you come back to it? Uh, typically a month or two. This one was a little bit different because I was working on it between other books. Because I, I write like mostly teen fiction and believe it or not, like Christian fiction. If you read the book, you think it's kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. But, um, like, yeah, you, you, I would not have uh, thought between, that from. <laughs> yeah, you can't see my my face kind of perked up when you said that. I was like, "What?" Like so. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it was, it was definitely like an escape from the other stuff. So I was working on it between those projects just to stay fresh, you know, not let my writing stop. And I can't came back to it because I was curious. And I was like, if I rework this, you know, what can I do differently to make it more exciting for me? Because it was exciting in the first place enough that I want to go back to it. But every time I return to it, I was like, okay, how can I keep myself excited about this? So you see a lot of moments where it goes from like 11 to like 15 pretty quickly. Because I, I was trying to keep my own attention the whole time. That way I'd be excited. And, you know, over a course of about three to four years, so I would write it, come back to it, write it, come back to it, and just kind of tweak it as I went. I think the longest gap was about a year and a half. Oh, wow. Um Sorry, we just had uh, a, a motor gang. A, yeah, a motor gang right, ride by uh, yeah. the windows open. So I apologize for that. Um, <laughs> and wild, no wild problem. west of Cleveland, Ohio. Yeah. And those motorcycle <laughs> gangs come by. You know. Um, <laughs> I got to th- totally thrown off uh, what my question was going to be. Um, uh, in regards to your writing, are you? When you say that you spent a year and a half away from it, was there? You know, without spoiling too much about the book, was there anything that you could say like? was sort of a major revelation or change between, you know, I, I think of, uh, particularly when it's, when I'm drawing for me, it's very therapeutic and I enjoy the process of it. And usually once I'm done with it, uh, I hate it. Um, (laughs) and it's not until I put it away that I can appreciate it, but, um, just the act of, of doing it is the most enjoyable part for me. Um, but then sometimes I'll come back to something a year later and look at it and be like, wow, that was, it was actually pretty good. I don't know why I hated it so much when I finished it, or um, I can at least find something about it that I liked. And there's always things that I want to change. Was there anything in particular? I guess was there any sort of big changes or revelations that that came from spending that time away from the so- story, or sort of like uh, did you do you I guess uh, change directions on things, or uh, I guess what was the editing like? I, I just asked like thirty <laughs> questions, so. If you can answer I, I, I think order. I can track that question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, um, for the first couple of drafts, the ending was a lot different. I cut away about 20 pages from the end because I wanted to go a different direction because the first ending I had in mind was kind of just a by-the-numbers ending where nothing very different was happening from what you'd expect. Like if you were at the beginning, you would kind of have figured out, okay, of course this is what happens because that's what happens in every damn movie like this or book. So I was like, how can I change this up for myself? Like, where would I not expect this to go? So I took it, you know, literally to a different place. And like the third act, it goes somewhere where I didn't anticipate going. Uh, Some events happened. I didn't really see coming when I started writing it. So it's kind of all about going back and reworking certain parts so that that fits still. So there's a good 20 pages just thrown out that I could probably use for something different if I needed to or... And maybe that's for something else down the line. I think that, uh, that was the biggest change was the ending. 
I think that relates to one of the questions that I was going to ask uh, regarding, uh, and I won't say which character, but one of the characters, is, there's a pretty big revelation about her that comes about 30 pages from the end and sort of a lot of what has happened sort of hangs on that reveal. I'm kind of curious, you know, without giving away what that reveal is, um, I'm curious to know what, was that something that kind of came from that time away or was that something that had always been a part of the story? And I don't know if I'm being too cryptic. (laughs) Steve, let me answer the question before you ask about it. Sorry, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's a little bit of both. Like I knew going in why she was there. Yeah, spoiler, it's a girl, I guess. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what their what their what their part was, but I didn't know how it was going to come up, whether it was going to wait a little bit, or how big of an impact it was going to be on the overall story. And so that kind of changed when I came back to it and reworked the ending with how big of an impact that was on the story overall, and not just their relationship. So was there any like themes that surprised you when you got through all of it? And you're like, oh, I've been kind of writing about this this entire time. I didn't realize it. Like you said, talk, you talked about like loss of control, but was there anything else that kind of bubbled up or you're like, oh, well, this kind of speaks to everything. I just didn't realize I was writing about it. Uh, I'd say it's not like uh, self-esteem was one because there's one character in there who is, has a really hard time. I, yeah, I kind of felt bad afterward. <laughs> I was like, oh man, I kind of put her through the ringer especially. Is but that the character of Tina? One and, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Tina. Okay. Sorry, like, I interrupted. Uh, finding one's place in the world, that was another big one. You know, kind of just like where you are in the world and what it all means, like where your part is in the world. And I think that's an especially big question for anybody around their age, like late teens, early 20s, is kind of figuring it out. Like how important are you in this place? You know, what difference can you possibly make in the world? And where do you go from here? So what's it been like to self-publish? I know I've talked to Steve about this with his comic. Like, what uh, are like what's the challenges with that? And then also, like, what's the road that was taken to self-publish your book and get it out in front of people? Um, it's actually uh, control is a big thing for me. I guess I keep mentioning that word. <laughs> uh, having total control over it, like being a bit of a megalomaniac, like knowing what I wanted everything to look like, how I wanted to lay out, what I wanted the cover to be having that measure of control was really good for me. So it was kind of a relief. And uh, when it started, I actually had it pitched for an actual publication because there are a couple like bizarro and extreme horror publications out there that specialize in novella length books. But um, there are only like three or four big ones and their submission periods are very brief and very sporadic. So it was either self-publish it myself and take my own chances or play a long waiting game and see if they ever want it or where it fits in. And I kind of just want to do it myself, see, learn from the experience of it. So that was a bit challenging. It was definitely a learning curve to it, but uh, it was good overall. I liked it. What would you, what would you tell somebody that they're trying to self publish? Like what would be something you'd recommend? Like, what'd you learn? Like, like don't do this or do this. Uh, the first thing I learned was give the book to somebody to read, you know, is your beta reader, somebody who hates your guts and has no reason to lie to you. Like if you have like a writing group, give it to the person who doesn't want to say nice things to you because they'll tell you everything wrong with the story and they'll tell you what doesn't work. So that helped Like giving it to somebody who I know, like they're going to find something wrong with this. That helped me a lot. So, you know, utilize your enemies, I guess. 
Yeah, I guess, I mean, you kind of want to kill your babies if you need to, right? Like, uh, like that's probably best to get that out of the way early as opposed to keep it, just keep it like cradled and be like, nobody could say anything mean about my baby. And then they grow up and it's like, why no one was talked to them? I don't know. Like they're ugly baby. Uh, so uh, with, with that, um, I, I guess, cause you've been traveling the conventions that we found you at a, a dark X fest. I always want to say dark X miss. I know it's in Christ, around Christmas, right? But not in the summer in November. Yeah. This, uh, sure. It, it, whatever time of year it is, <laughs> I don't know. But so what, like how often do you travel the convention circuit and like, what's that experience been like for you? Um, you know, selling your book. Well, that was actually my first convention where I met you guys. Oh, well, perfect. <laughs> how was that experience? <laughs> so I'm very new to it. <laughs> It was, a, it was a fun experience. I think my favorite part was just meeting people and talking about horror and seeing all the costumes. I think one of my favorite parts was actually sitting adjacent to Felissa Rose because she turned up the energy the entire time she was there. Like six-hour days, never ran out of energy, and I learned a lot from that. Yeah, especially since that place didn't have air conditioning for most of it. That's I don't know how she did that because I was dead pretty much no air conditioning no bathrooms <laughs> yeah. yeah i read your review uh of dark xs online uh on your site and uh i was like yep yep i'm just going through it i'm like yep no air conditioning yep uh bathrooms were a complete disaster good news is is i guess uh the show is going to be in mentor at a new hotel this year uh, i say this year is in four months from now um so hopefully it's going to be a a bit better of a uh, conditions for uh, those of us who will be tabling at the show. Um, but I did want to ask you, uh, I'm curious, uh, one of the things that you mentioned in it is, uh, and you do mention, Felissa, the fact that you looked around and, and sort of looked at who was sort of the grumpy-faced um, sort of um, artist slash writer slash personalities there. Slash Steve. And you know, that's the thing, because I was wondering, I'm like, ah, I hope that I wasn't one of them, because I, I do try to no, keep no, a game face. The whole time. Um, but I was looking over there, I see you guys just having fun. That was awesome. Well, it's, it, it was tough, I will admit, by like 5 o'clock that first day, I was like drained. I was like, oh my god, we got another couple hours. <laughs> but uh, One thing I didn't anticipate was like packing enough food so you don't get like hungry, angry throughout the day. Yeah, you got you got to time it out somewhat, right? Because I mean, you know, that's that's the challenge of like every person that you meet could be the first time you meet them, so you don't want them to be like, yeah, the, that that work seemed kind of interesting, but that guy seemed kind of angry for no apparent reason. Like, <laughs> he bit me. Why did he bite me? <laughs> well, I have had experiences uh, just at other conventions, not even so much with celebrities, but with artists and writers who really seemed uninterested in talking to me so that that i can i try to keep that in mind anytime somebody comes up to the table even if it's you know just to say oh i like that or um this is cool you know and and they're not buying i mean just just to try and engage with everybody um and show like some enthusiasm um yeah and i don't know um, particularly with, uh, you know, that show, it was, I think it was tough on everybody with all the conditions that were going on around it. So, um, well, kind of like you were saying was like every person that's their first time meeting you probably like, I, I kept that in mind the whole time was like, you know, I'm just happy to be here because you know, who am I? I I'm nobody right now. I don't have a name and these people are coming to my table and saying hi. I mean, I'm always grateful for that. And if they buy the book, it's, it's perfect. They're giving it a chance. If not, you know, at least they came by, they saw me, they spoke a little bit. I was just staying grateful for that the entire time, no matter how hungry I was or <laughs> if, I, if I had to go to the bathroom and there were no toilets available throughout the entire hotel, apparently. 
So you know, I was just happy to be there because, like I said, I'm I'm not a name. I, I'm by no means. And seeing the people there who are names, and they can probably afford to be a little bit grumpy because people know them. But people like me, first timers out there, I really can't afford to be upset about anything because you're meeting these people for the first time, and they're going to base everything afterward on how that meeting went. So how do you how do you overcome the challenge? I know this was like your first show, but just in general of I feel like with a lot of horror fans and, and people can stone me for saying this, it's I feel like there's a lot of them that love what they love and then they don't ever look at anything else for whatever reason. They built like their their collection in their mind and then if something doesn't fit in there, then they don't consider it. So how do you how would you reach out to somebody and be like, I know you love XYZ, maybe you should consider something new? Because I feel like that's the biggest challenge facing someone like yourself and like Steve, just getting the horror fan engaged with something they may not know. Uh, that's funny you should ask that. At this past Saturday, I was at a book expo in the Columbus area. It was the uh, Mid Ohio Indie Author Book Fair. And they were, <laughs> I got there's this little 12 year old girl came up to my table and she was curious about my book because she saw extreme horror. And she wanted to buy a copy. And I was like, where are your parents at? Do they know you're buying this book? And she's like, yeah. I was like, okay. Um, what is the most scary and disgusting book you've read? And she said, like, something like Stephen King's uh, Thinner, I think. I was like, okay, this, this isn't that. I'm not, I am not Stephen King level. I am way below that. So just so you know, it's more disgusting. Can you bring your mom over here? I think she should read it first. And we were talking for a bit about horror, and she's more into the supernatural stuff. So pitching my book to her was, there's a little bit of that, but have you seen this movie? Did you like this movie? Because I feel like horror fans can always relate more to movies than they can to comic books or novels or novellas or any of that stuff. Like if you mentioned a movie that's kind of a trigger for somebody, they'll be like, I like that one, and here's what I liked about it. And you kind of work your pitch from there of here's what it has in common with it, here's what's a little bit different. You know, here's kind of the wheelhouse it's in. I'm uh, I'm kind of curious because uh, I know that you're also on Amazon uh, Kindle, and uh, I don't know, I don't know what that process is for. I, I my understanding is it's a pretty open market as far as like submitting and getting on there. Um, but uh, one of the things that I constantly face is is a. Uh, uh, when I started doing comics, we were doing print comics, and then people were like, oh, we're reading digitally, so I made a web comic, and then people were like, where's the printed edition? So <laughs> I'm just curious, um, do you see more of an uptick, you know, uh, particularly online, or is it, you know, more s strong and steady s sales that you're getting at conventions, uh, you know, for an actual physical copy? I'd say probably more digital is the one that people go toward most, because, I'm a new author and guys don't know my name, so they're going to spend a whole lot of money. And that's just the fact of it. So if you look at something, it's 10 bucks for a physical edition versus two ninety nine for digital. I'm going to plug that. Everybody's on Amazon. <laughs> yeah. They're going to go toward the one that costs less. And if they like it and they're a couple of chapters in, like, you know, I could actually read the rest of this. Sometimes they'll go back and buy the paperback. But um, right now it's mostly digital making all the sales. Yeah, I mean, I, it makes sense in the sense that it can reach, you know, a, a wider audience, anybody, obviously. Yeah. yeah, anybody who's got an Amazon account can purchase it. Um, you know, I, I do wonder, you know, at least this is just for me specifically, again, when I go to conventions, I try to find stuff 
by people that I don't know, you know. And yeah, I'm going to buy a Blu-ray of, you know, uh, Zombie 2 or, you know, I'm going to spend my money on some of the more well-known things. But I also try and find people who have artwork or books or things like that uh, that I have not experienced and try and, I don't want to say, you know, spread the, you know, well, the, the karma, but yeah. like I feel like, you know, um, <laughs> there's something to getting people to discover new stuff. And I always try to keep that in mind as I'm walking around. So, uh, and I don't know. Yeah, if... I mean, sometimes your favorite things come from that. That's true. Uh, like, uh, I mean, with Steve, like we met through a, a common friend and turns out like a lot of, like a lot of people, they, they picked up his book and liked it a lot and they wouldn't, you know, without that, like knowing somebody and going to a convention, you know, sometimes it's, you know, that's how you got to do it. And then you find things that you like a great deal. So, one question here I saw, I was looking through some of your, uh, you know, like on Twitter and all that good stuff, you you um, were looking for a cover art for your book a little while ago, and you found someone that obviously made you artwork that you like. Was this the artwork that you always envisioned? Because I have a, a specific question about the artwork after you tell me, like, what your thoughts are or what you wanted. Uh, that actually went through a few iterations. And first one I had in mind was a lot more graphic of a cover. But it was very detailed. It was very gory. And I was, I had somebody critique it. And I was like, what would you think of this? And they were telling me, you know, if you go with this artwork, you're going to get maybe 20, 25% of the audience you could be getting with something a little more sinister, something that's going to get someone's curiosity more than just saying, here's what it is. And they were kind of pointing me toward the direction of what I ended up going with, saying, give just enough that you're getting their curiosity gauged. You know, kind of like if you're at, I don't know, looking at a movie or something or a trailer and you see a commercial and they're telling you the whole story, you don't even want to bother with the movie. So if you look at a cover art and it's telling you like a whole scene of what's going on and all this detail and there's all this blood and gore, you'd be like, okay, I got, I have a pretty good idea what the rest of this is. I don't need to read it. Yeah, that, yeah, that makes sense. Kind of you want to leave them wanting. So with this, it is a top-down shot of a birthday cake that's covered in raspberries and strawberries. And it's sitting on some type of like, you know, like occulty symbol, which is cool. Uh, well, you're going for more like, like, is this supposed to look more like an eyeball, but like, like looking at you, like kind of staring you down? Or when I told Steve when I first picked this book up, out of the corner of my eye, the fresh strawberries always look like pulled teeth to me. And I cannot unsee that anytime this thing's off to the corner. I keep seeing my mind's making up horrible things that this cake doesn't have. I don't know if that was your intent. It bothers me. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it wasn't really my intention, but I'm kind of, I'm kind of happy that having that effect. <laughs> So Wait, what did you say you thought it was? Uh, pulled teeth. It looks like it just looks like molars pulled. You know, like you got the. You know, oh, sweet. Yeah. So there you go. There you can tell people like here, check out this tooth cake. No, uh, no. It just it was just like out of the corner of your eye, like you would just I don't know. It just it just it bothered me, and I think I just didn't know if that was your intent. And Steve could attest to it. That's what I said when I first you know looked at the book. Uh, so I didn't know if that was your overall intent or like what you said, just to kind of leave people wondering, which is you know ultimately the goal, right? You want to. You want somebody to open that that cover and look at what's next. So yeah, but I, yeah, it, it's bothering that makes me happy. <laughs> so all right. So in terms of like we kind of you know, we've talked about your book and your process. What what horror films are you watching right now? Like what's what what are you digging for the year twenty nineteen? I know we we talked before we started recording about it chapter one a couple of years ago, and I know we all kind of had different feelings about that. Is there any any movie this year that you saw that was new that you're just like that that's going to be like a favorite? 
actually, um, there's one I saw last week, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. That one I, I loved. Like, that was exactly what I wanted. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I haven't gotten to see it yet. I'm hearing, like, I'm hearing sort of, uh, it's like there doesn't seem to be an in-between on it. There seems to be people who, like, love it, and I don't know if they're people who read the books initially or if they're, uh, you know, just people who like horror movies, but it, it seems very, divisive isn't the right word, but, like, it, it feels like there's people who really love it, and then there are people who are just like, yeah, it was okay. Like, um I'm trying to think of another movie that's sort of like that. I mean, uh, Hereditary seemed to be one of those. And I mean, well, in terms completely, of opinion. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, that's what I'm talking about. In terms of opinion, it's like, you know, um, people who liked it and got it really loved it. Um, and then people who didn't were just sort of like not unimpressed with it. So, um, But I, I'm hoping to check out Scary S- Stories sometime in the next like week or two because uh, uh, the people that I usually get good reviews from I, I that I trust with reviews have all been very favorable. So and that's like, my long winded like, way. It was almost it was almost like what was missing for me from the movie it was what was in scary stories. What it's these kids around the same age group and it more it felt more true to life than it did. Where the events are all kind of, you know, what's the word? Set up like they're very much out of this world events. But the way the kids act, it's what you want to see happen, not just throwing in the F word here and there and hoping that it sticks, kind of like it was in the movie It. Yeah, I, I've, I know I've, I've said this off, you know, off recording and um, other places that, that I'm so happy that an R-rated horror film did as well as it did and made as much money as it did and people got excited for it. I just wish it would have been. I don't know better. Like I just was like, I was a little frustrated with that movie, but the sequel's coming in like, you know what, a month and a half, even less than that. And, uh, there's people that are excited about it. I think I'll go see it, but I don't know. I'm hoping that it learns from its mistakes. But so aside from scary story, yeah, go see it, uh, it too as well. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, is there anything else other than scary stories of the dark that you've checked out recently that, uh, that you think needs some love in terms of um, midsummer? I saw that one three times. Yeah, I saw that. Steve hasn't seen it yet. Uh, Steve lives in a cave, I guess, and just draws comics. I don't know. No, that's not true. Uh, <laughs> I live that, in, a pu- in, a, in a cave with my puppy. With a puppy. <laughs> <laughs> I think Midsummer's very like challenging. I live in a van down by the river. I live yeah. in a cave with my puppy. Yeah. <laughs> no, Midsummer was really good, too, and I'm hoping more people give that one a shot. That one also feels like it could, people could be either or on. So the fact that you saw it three times, I need to see it again because I saw it the first time, liked it feel like it needs a rewatch for everything to kind of slot into place because I had like my brain wasn't all the way there with all of it. So I think I need to watch it again. But I think that's definitely going to be one of my favorites of the year so far. Um, one thing I liked about it was like in the first shot of the film, it gives you an outline of the rest of the movie. Like it tells you like literally bit by bit exactly what's going to happen in the rest of the movie just in that first shot. Yeah, and it took true. me like I think the third viewing to see that. Yeah. Uh, so, Steve, don't just ignore that part when you go to see. You're like, oh, I know everything's going on. You don't know everything's going on. Um, all right. So, uh, yeah. So, so uh, Ash, thank you for talking to us about your book. And I know you mentioned it's available on Amazon and Kindle. Is there anywhere else that people can get it? Like a uh, place they can go to order it physically? Uh, anything else that you would like to promote? This this is your time to to shield the heck out of yourself. Like to plug everything. <laughs> uh, if you want to, you can get off my website, ashperlin.com. You can get a signed copy off there. I have part two coming out probably early 2020. That one is called Birthday Girl Coronation, and it's the second part in a trilogy. And then I also have a book under my pseudonym, Chase Will, coming out either late this year or January of next year. 
And that one is more YA-oriented fiction. It's not quite a horror novel, but it's a little on the supernatural side. And it's to do with grief. And it's a lot about loss because I lost somebody recently. And it seems like, seems like a good time to kind of go back and process those feelings and take that one through a rewrite. So that one's coming out soon. It's called Moving Through. All right. So, And then uh, if you want to follow my blog, it's ashcrowlin.com. Perfect. All right, we'll make sure we get the, some of that information up when we post with the show. So, Steve, remind me, because I'm really bad about always posting everything all the time. But, again, I, I, Ash, thank you for taking the time to talk to us. Thank you for, uh, you know, I just talk about your process. And I'm hoping that we see you on the further uh, circuits of different uh, conventions, because I know we'll be, at least in the Northeast Ohio area, uh, you know, hucking our wares. So I hope to cross paths with you again. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me on. Thanks for coming on. We really appreciate it. See you guys. And thanks again to Ash for coming on the show. We we definitely appreciate that. So again, uh, you can go to ashcrowlin.com. That's A-S-H-C-R-O-W-L-I-N.com to uh, uh, order a copy of the book. You can also find the ebook on um, Amazon through Kindle for like three bucks, I think is what we talked about was the yeah, price. So yeah. So uh, go ahead, check that out. Support independent horror uh, and independent extreme horror. Uh, but we, yeah, it was a fun conversation. We, we had fun. So thanks for coming on the show, Ash. Yeah. Uh, and again, I apologize for my lengthy, <laughs> my, my lengthy questions. So how, how dare us try to get to get to things eventually. I know like, <laughs> it's like, we all, it's like, it's like, it's like a hedge maze, right? It's like, I, I know where I'm going. And about like three turns in, you're like, where that, Oh, okay. Well, I'm just going to push my way through the bushes here to make it to the middle. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, uh, before we get to the Wheel of Death and all that fun stuff, uh, you could find us on Invasion of the Podcast. We're on Facebook. Uh, we're invasionofthepodcast.com. We're at the blog where we're writing about Year of Canon. I know I'm a little behind on that, so that's my apologies. But if you guys want to read about ninjas, that's the most recent post. So, check out some wonderful gifts there. Uh, you can find us on um, iTunes. Sorry, Apple Music. I'm always going to mess that up now because iTunes was around for like 10 years, you know? Yeah. And all my business cards say it. So check us out on not iTunes. Uh, Podbean, Stitcher, Google Music, wherever you get your pod, uh, podcasts. If you could find us, rate and review us, that'd be greatly appreciated. And Steve, how can people find you? You can find me at the Saturday Night Slasher.com. You can also find me on Instagram and Facebook under the Saturday Night Slasher. And then lastly, you can find me this Saturday, August 17th, uh, in Bay Village from. 10 to 4 p.m. I, I, I had to preface myself for a second. I'm like, do I say 10 a.m.? Like, people are going to think, oh, he's there from 10 p.m. the night before until 4. No. Just, um, well, just go there now. And yeah, wait. just go there now and wait. Uh, but uh, it's going to be at the uh, um, Bay Village Community House uh, in Bay Village. It's on, uh, uh, oh, I. There it is. It's on, uh, sorry, uh, Cahoon so Road. It's on a, a pumpkin spice spam drive. <laughs> Cahoon Road, but there will also be a bake sale. There will be a hearse cruising with uh, uh, different hearses there. Uh, there are going to be food trucks. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, don't, don't get those two confused, though. Don't get the hearse, the hearse and the food, and the food truck. truck confused. It's, it's not a bad idea if you could like figure out a way to make a, a hearse into a food truck. <laughs> I don't, I mean, how... How would that even work? I don't even know. I don't know. Like, just, I mean, does a coffin just kind of pop out the back and it, it slowly opens up and it's just full of corn dogs? I, then I'd slowly walk and crawl in and be like, okay, guys, I, <laughs> just close it on me. I, this is this is how I envisioned it. We make all the things that will put you in your grave, I guess. 
So yeah, uh, come out um, this Saturday between ten and four. Uh, I'll be there with the comic and art stuff, and uh, it's my first time doing this show, and I'm really excited to be there. Nice, and I'm really excited to see what other people are bringing. So. Go take the walking tour of where Robert Patrick grew up at, because um, he's from Bay Village. So go see, <laughs> go go to the like the hometown of the T1000. I was unaware of that, yeah. but uh, uh, yeah, and also if you want to be like, oh the band filter they they grew up around here too so you can go and be like i wonder if they had the lyrics to hey man nice shot rattle around their head while walking around bay village there's your two why do i have bay village facts in my head and you'll but, notice none of those people live here anymore well i mean you know everybody that was in bay got successful and out so steve this is your launching pad just uh, there you go nice um yeah so make sure when you go see steve say steve can you please tell me about robert patrick <laughs> and i'll be like you mean from the lost boys and they'll be like no that's jason, jason patrick, patrick yeah. you douche. I, I would, wouldn't it be great if they just walk up to you and be like have you seen this man and hold a picture of robert patrick yeah uh, anyway, so all right, so to to celebrate the 200th episode, I figured uh, we'd bring back an old an old an oldie but a goodie of things. So let's just uh, let's just finish the show with uh, something we haven't done for a while. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. <laughs> it's time for the Netflix Wheel of Death. <laughs> I like how um, like there's like the saw stuff in there. It's like you know want to you know, want to play a game and then you hear yeah anyway uh, the wheel of death. So yeah, uh, the, the Netflix wheel of death was something that we used to do often here on the show uh, where we'd pick six movies and Steve was really really good as before you came on the show full time of finding just utter shit for us to watch on the show and and it's we a great did great pride in it. Uh, do you broke me a couple of times and we've talked about that previously but some of the winners that you have you have found that we have we would spin the wheel randomly and pick you know pick one to watch and, and talk about it like the next week uh one of them was christian mingle which that movie almost broke me with lazy chabaret and talking to god up in the sky just like just say just what's up god you know just hanging out listening to some nice music uh, Why am i single yeah uh you i think hush was one of them hush was really good i know you liked hush like that's the was that a a, a wheel of Death? I don't remember. I ended up watching it. I don't remember. Okay, yeah, yeah, because I loved that movie. Yeah, that was definitely good. not put on there as yeah. a. I think it, when I started though, I think I, I did put in some that I was I th- like. I think the whole thing back then was we do five stinkers and one like good yeah. one. Yeah. So maybe we would survive the wheel. Um. But and then you also uh, had made me end up watch uh, was it Hellraiser um Revelations. I keep want to say Bloodlines and that's a different one, but Revelations, which is one of the worst goddamn things I've ever seen in my life. Uh, that movie was just unwatchable. But I, f- I watched it for the show and for the Wheel of Death. So normally what we would have done is we would like pick the six movies and then we'd do it and then talk about the next week. However, I knew we were taking a week off. We talked about this last episode during Runaway Train that Steve would come with a list of movies. So uh, I, let's talk about let's talk about the things that um, we didn't pick real quick and then I'll, I'll still I'll talk yeah, about I what I got. Yeah, I kind of went... I wanted to st- uh, two things. I wanted to go off of Netflix and I wanted to go to Amazon just because I felt like there were things on there that weren't on Netflix. And there, some of these titles may actually also be on Netflix. I just... I wanted to go do something a little different. And then also, you know, I tried to stay away from something that I knew was just garbage right off the rip, like Mm -hmm. the Asylum films. Like, those are movies that are made specifically because they know they're bad and they're just trying to cash in on something. Um, So I tried to, you know, not really set rules, but I tried to pick things that... 
whether their intent was good or not, just for whatever reason, were, were not very good movies, at least by my estimation, by looking them up. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I don't know. But you had seven that you picked. Uh, yeah, I picked seven this time. And so we put it out to the Facebook group to like or the Facebook page to pick you know which ones, and we ended up having um, a tie. But uh, one of the movies that got voted for that did not make it into the tie, so it didn't come up with the dead heat, was a film called Judgment, which has Corbin Burnson defending a Christian extremist accused of crimes against humanity. Corbin Burnson was also in Christian Mingle, <laughs> and he actually directs a number of these faith-based films. So, yeah. Um, and it also had Mr. T, Mr. T in T, it. Yeah. So I've, I kind of felt like that had to be put on there. Yeah, so that one didn't make it past the the, the first round, but the, the two that ended up making it to the final round, uh, one was, uh, I like that you put Death Wish 5, The Face of Death, on here. That's not the one <laughs> that made it. Because I was like, if, I, if, I, if that would have been the one that would have been picked, I'd have been like, well, I need to go watch Death Wish 4. <laughs> So it would have been a twofer because of like since I've already watched you wouldn't have understood Death no, Wish five without not, seeing four. I would have understood, but it's like if I've already taken the journey of one, two, three to talk with the third one about the year of canon, it'd be weird just to skip one. So <laughs> I guess that's fair. Yeah. So um, the two that were uh, that kind of made it to the final round. So we had like tie votes. So I ended up like asking some more people like please pick one of these two like i wanted <laughs> like i didn't want to be the one to have to pick so the the so here do you talk about the two here so the first one was a uh, star hunter and uh what i liked about it was is uh, one of my favorite reviews of it was that somebody just called it the predator's cheap cousin and i was like I don't need to know much more. But, uh, you know, the story of it was from a remote prison colony in space. A pair of ruthless intergalactic predators have escaped, um, seeing all forms as game in their savage sport. They have chosen their latest playground, a small planet in the Milky Way called Earth. And it had Roddy McDowell. And I was like, oh, well, there you go. Yeah, I wish they'd been like, we picked a small planet in the Milky Way, Neptune. Right. (laughs) And the second one's a little bit of a cheat, because it was a movie that was strung together from episodes of a TV show. (laughs) So this was RoboCop Prime Directive's Dark Justice. Uh, And basically, it's 13 years after the original RoboCop, and supposedly uh, Delta City has been called the safest place on Earth. Um, However, as... You know, Murphy has begun to age. Robocop uh, stumbles across information uncovering a group of government officials that must be stopped. So it, it deals with both, both uh, I guess, the age of Robocop, the fact that, you know, he's done his job. What's there left to do? Um, my understanding, I've not seen an episode of the show, but I understand that they did it in arcs and then re-released them as movies. Um, so anything anything past RoboCop three, if you see a RoboCop sequel, it is basically two episodes from the TV series put together. But a lot of these were released theatrically with the sequel titles in like South America, okay. which is weird, yeah. you know. So yeah, um, and then you said that like you like this because a random IMDb review listed as RoboCrap. So, yes. <laughs> so there, there it was a tie game for uh, RoboCrap and Star Hunter until I started like I, I wasn't trying to tell people one way or another. I was like just vote for this, like this let make. Make me watch something. My one friend was like, well, "Why don't you watch both?" I was like, "Good God, what is wrong with you?" <laughs> um, so the votes came in, and I ended up seeing Star Hunter. Which the only there's two bits of trivia for the movie. One of them was filmed in '95, not released till '98. <laughs> Always a good sign. Yeah, uh, and it has um, has Roddy McDowell. You said, and also Although I do believe it was uh, held back because of its violent content. <laughs> yeah, uh, and also the other the other big name in it was. Um, 
Oh, uh, shoot. Uh, I, I should have had this in front of me, and I didn't. Um, that's a different Star Hunter. That's all one word. <laughs> um, it is... I'll find it. There's What's the kid's name? It's, it's actually... Uh, this is actually listed in 1996 now? I don't know. Anyway. Uh, where's his name at? It is... Zach Ward. Zach Ward is the other name in this that I recognized, and it's like I'm like really like because like I've seen him on other stuff. He's recognizable gender, you know, uh, but it, it's like he's actually kind of went on to do some stuff. Nothing great, but like he's been in like he's still working, you know. Yeah, I mean, and, actually, he was really good. If you ever watched the show Titus, Christopher Titus's yes, uh, sitcom, yeah. he was really good on that. Um, and he's he's made kind of a a career out of uh, doing niche roles um he may not be the star of of a lot of the things that he's in but he typically comes in and puts a great character he's he's a character actor i guess is the best way of putting it yeah and he and and i know so steve was going around to watching this but he didn't uh good for him uh and he he's he's actually like you know you see everybody else acting it's like oh everybody's terrible it's like he's not bad but they make him they give him such a thankless like stoner role that he's just goofy the entire movie and not in a fun way and okay. it's just frustrating but so yeah that's that's your big thing i didn't even look up like the directors or writers i just it just this is one of those movies that the title and the cover art had this come out like 95 96 i would have been a senior in high school had this been at the local video store i'd have been like oh this is going to be stupid and i would have rented it and i'd have been like oh i was right but it's it's like I there's this there's this niche in like the mid nineties of like the budgets are just big enough to get it like video release, yeah. but it's not big enough to do anything with. But it's big enough to get like Roddy McDowell. Like I'm never saying he's an A list actor, but he was a known actor and he was he was higher than the material. But you could tell they filmed him in the first half of the film and they just kept playing inserts of him throughout the second half. And it is uh yeah, he plays like a he's one half of the alien duo. That's the hunters, and the other heart part is the the star hunter, which looks like I don't know. Um, they're trying to they try to go for a predator vibe, but like the head shapes kind of like Darth Vader, and every time this thing moved, it did like servo noises. Oh, nice! Like like worse than RoboCop, but it was the it's like if this is supposed to be like the ultimate hunting machine, it is loud as all get out. It's just the clunky, and then you know it's just in. The whole thing is this high school football team, they lose their game and most of the team leaves early and like the loser guys and cheerleaders that got, that didn't get on the main bus end up in like a literal short bus being driven by the principal of the high school and they end up in the bad part, the heights, wherever that is. Oh yeah, everybody knows the heights, you stay out of the heights. Yeah, and so like, and then so suddenly the vehicle breaks down because, you know, of reasons and they're trying to like get help, and they find they find Roddy McDowell, who lets him into his like apartment, and he's like, "Oh no, I'll call a cab for you." And they realize he's wearing these dark sunglasses, and he eventually says, "Well, I'm blind, but you know, I'm, I'm a very a very good hunter, you know." And he's and talks about all this stuff, and but one of the details of the film is that in his apartment, like none of the paintings are hung correctly like they're all like just off the side <laughs> and it's not it's not something that if you're not paying attention it's like everything's kind of disheveled it's like well of course he's blind why would he care <laughs> but then you eventually find out that he basically lured the six of them in so he could have the game you know and there's a force field and all this other stuff and it's just every, it, the movie it, it i feel like when we when we used to do this segment it was almost like being like oh my gosh it was so rough to watch it was so bad it's weird now because we've been through a year of the knockoff and now we're ha more than halfway through the year of Canon. Um, I feel like I have this weird inoculation. <laughs> 
like in the sense of like like whatever this virus is it's not hitting me the way that like like we've seen shocking dark yeah and that movie did like it wasn't even fun like we had a fun talk about it i and i know there's people out there that support that film and i feel like star hunter would have been a good year of the knockoff to go with like predator or something yeah. you know like just to be kind of like oh okay uh but i feel like we probably just it's watchable in the sense of like it goes from a to b and it's it fine kind of sounds like predators the, yeah a little bit the, um rodriguez scripted uh sequel so i i i so here's the, the the big emissions. One, this is available on Amazon Prime for free. However, whenever it was finally decided this is the film I was going to watch, I was trying to juggle a couple of things time-wise yesterday. So I was like, okay, I'll watch. Uh, I, so I ended up watching the whole thing on my phone. Oh, okay. okay. So the optimum it, way to it, watch a movie. I know. Uh, <laughs> and if people feel like I didn't get the true Star Hunter experience, please let me know. The second half of it was while I was completing my elliptical workout. So I had, so, and I told myself, I was like, I'm not finishing my workout until this movie's over. So I actually went over my normal workout to finish the movie. So I was in pain at the end, and I don't know if it was related to the film or not. Um, so um, I didn't have, my wife has the Prime account, not me, and I didn't have her login information. So. Oh I paid three dollars to rent this movie to watch oh. it on my phone, um, and it was like, "You sure you want to start your rent period?" I'm like, "Yes." And then, so this makes me wonder if, like, you know, um, I don't know the last time this film was like p- money was paid for for it. So this makes me wonder, you know, if like uh, if, if Zach Ward is going to get like a weird like royalty check, <laughs> a residual check for like a penny or something, and be like, "What the who?" Who rented Star Hunter? You know, like, um, so yeah, uh, I, you know, it was. <laughs> I could see why, like, it, you you went against Steve. You picked you picked one that was like like it, it. It is not. It is by no means the worst thing that you have found for me to watch. And and at first when I saw the cover art and I saw the people involved, I'm like, is this an asylum film? But then I realized that its release date was like by at least six or seven years before the asylum was really a thing. So I was like, yeah. thankfully, but this actually ended up becoming part, like, part of a six film deal with um, all, what was the other trivia? That was the other bit of trivia too, that once I saw that, I'm like, okay, that makes sense. Um, film was part of a four picture output deal between Andrew Stevens, Royal Oaks entertainment and Roger Corman's Concord slash new horizon. So Roger Corman definitely worked out a deal to get this and four other films made. And after watching that, it makes kind of sense. Like the the logic of the film bounces all over the place where these these high school kids are getting hunted and it's a game for the Star Hunter and Roddy McDowell. And it's anytime they stop it, it regenerates and the game goes on. But there's just bits of story that happen that you're like, it would have been really good to know this like earlier in the film. And it wasn't because of by design, like in the sense of like, Oh, they're keeping us in the dark. It's more like they didn't know where to put this to where it made sense. Like, <laughs> and, cause like when the big reveal of how to stop the star hunter is told after they stopped the star hunter, you're like, why didn't you tell them this when they were trying to stop it? Yeah. And it's like, here's how you, you, the, the, his weak point was this. It's like after they've already broken it. Cool. Glad they know about it after. Like it was weird. You know, and there was a whole subplot 
and I use that term loosely, where the cops come in to try to see what's going on because two kids get out and they're like, oh, there's a dead body. We got to go see it. And they, and the, oh, the the one guy, the older police guy is like, you guys better not be pulling my legs or I'm going to bring you in. Like this whole like hard cop, cop talk. Yeah. And then they come and see the Star Hunter and then they all die. And it's like, and the cops don't play into the rest of the film. It's like, <laughs> well, I'm glad that we had this brief aside at the police station because there's the one younger cop that was like, I kind of believe these kids. I'm like, oh, he's going to kind of get mixed in with all this. Nope. Out the door. You know? So, Yeah. Not great. <laughs> well, I kind of had a feeling it was going to go that way, yeah. um, and I did want to commiserate with you. However, uh, you didn't tell me until late in the game <laughs> that this was yeah. what you'd pick. Because well, like, that, we, I wasn't picked. sure. Like, it was one of those things where it's just like, uh, you know. It, it, you things were kind of up in the air about what was going to happen, so I, yeah. you're right. I didn't get a chance to tell you until later, so that was on me. Maybe I was so enraptured by Star Hunter, I'm like, I got to keep this experience just for me, <laughs> and I can't let anybody else know about it. <laughs> this but, is special. But the synopsis that you say about like uh, like when you when you gave your synopsis of the film to everybody here um, about it being from a moat prison colony of space, this that's almost literally the text in the beginning of the movie. Oh wow! And I'm watching this. I'm like, really? Like, does Steve watch the beginning of this? <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> And so the movie's runtime is an hour and 20 minutes, right? So it's not very long. Two minutes of it are spent with credits at the beginning. And I'm like, ooh, this is already one of those ones that I know two minutes doesn't sound like a lot, but when you're when your films are in an hour and 20, yeah, and that also includes credits at the end, you're really stretching some taffy there just to try to be like, no, 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 we got to make sure every single person that's associated with this film gets their due in the beginning, you know, like. And for a movie that is probably closer to like an hour and 14 minutes, it definitely felt longer than an hour and 14 minutes, which is weird. I don't know how these movies that aren't like there's not much plot and there's just a bunch of running around and possibly violence. It's like, how do these things end up feeling longer? Right. I just don't know. It's amazing. It reminds me of uh, the early days of The Simpsons. They would find out that shows were short and they would do these weird things like... They'd be like, oh, extend this Homer gag where he's just looking off to the side <laughs> and here's someone, you know, talking or here, here's his brain talking. Or um, I don't know if you remember the one thing. Uh, there's one episode that just ends with um, uh, uh, everybody loves Ned Flanders. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah, I remember that. That was because they were short and they everybody didn't know what to do. Everybody loves Ned Flanders so except they, me. Everybody that matters loves Ned Flanders. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's uh, Ned Flanders and Love That God, I think it is. <laughs> and it's it's literally like 30 seconds long. It has nothing to do with the rest of the episode, but it's just because the show is short. Like That's funny because they're doing that a lot more now. And it's just because I feel like they just kind of don't know where to go with things. Okay. Uh, but yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, uh, Star Hunter could have used maybe used some Ned Flanders in there, like some of those br- brief asides. Um, I was kind of hoping that maybe you would have the same experience as I did a year or two ago when I discovered Project Metal Beast. <laughs> 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 Okay, so I think in our time here of watching these films that like something like Hands of Steel yeah. is ridiculous and not great, but at the same time, it has its own weird energy throughout, and it lags a little bit in the middle, but it just picks right back up again and gets ridiculous again. It's got again. rewatchability to oh, it. 100%. Star Hunter, like, I could sit down with you with like a six-pack and we could have fun with it, but it's not something that I would actively revisit. Yeah. Like, for example... Um, Getting ready for the decathlon, which the theme was ninjas this year. I wanted to buy a copy of the film Miami Connection to give as a prize. However, it was only limited, like a limited release with Alamo Draft House. To find a Blu-ray copy of that, it's like eighty bucks now. So I'm like, I love my friends, not that much. Right. Um, so 
I, but I own I own a digital copy of it. But I wanted I was like, okay, I want to watch that. I've watched Miami Connection probably like four times, and I still love it every time. It's not a good movie, but it has its own weird charm that I could watch it. You know, and like so and you always kind of hope to find that you always kind of hope to find that like, wow, like this isn't great, but it's, it's doing something for me, you know? Yeah. And star Hunter was one of those ones where it's a dime a dozen. It, it tries to, it, it basically says, well, what if instead of like the predator where, you know, it does hunt, but it's more like, it's almost like um, a slasher in the sense that the thing's slow moving. It uses, it uses a shotgun for the most of the film or a rifle because it's like they want to hunt using human weapons. It's like, way to not show lasers, you know? Like, <laughs> um, yeah. So it's just great. And every time they kill it, it just regenerates. So it's very much like, it even does like the, um, the Jason Voorhees slash Michael Myers, like, uh, Undertaker just setting up again. Oh, okay. But it's like after everybody left, so it's like no one even saw it. It's like, well, that's not scary. <laughs> he was mildly inconvenienced and then got up again. But the viewer knows he's back up. Yeah. Um, so, whatever. Anyway, uh, Star Hunter uh, it is available on Amazon Prime. If you have it and want to spend an hour and 20 minutes watching this thing, go for it. Don't be like me and pay $3 for it. But that's what I did because I wanted to make sure I was in a position I wish to I talk known. about it. I had just given you my login. I, no, I just it was again. I knew I knew what I, I was like. I'm just going to do this and get this done. And I'll pay three bucks. It's fine. Like I've, uh, I think I paid what was it five for Shocking Dark Digitally. Yeah. It was like rent it for five dollars or own it for five dollars. I'm like, guess I'll own it. And then I'm like, man, I wish I just would have rented it. It was the same price. <laughs> um, I did the same thing. Yeah. So maybe we'll do the Wheel of Death again in the future. I think we will. It's just. Uh, it's just I'm in a weird spot now where I've seen I, I think I think my skin has been so hardened. You know to what a lot I would like to do, and this is just because th- there have to be gems out there that we don't know about that came out in the '90s that were made for direct-to-video, and like I, I would love to figure out a way to not even do like a game of death, but do something where like we take time and 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 examine like movies from that period that were made direct-to-video and like weigh the, the pros and cons i i don't know you know if that's a special you know like a, a po- instead of playing a game uh like we did with uh wheel of death well but i feel I, like even some of the like the full moon stuff like you know yeah and I, I know that was all geared towards like video but like i've i've had my eye on like dr mordred now that i know that that's like basically unofficial doctor, doctor strange. strange with uh, uh with uh jeffrey um jeffrey combs jeffrey combs it's like that that I don't think that ever saw a theater, you know? No, and, uh, I, I'm absolutely positive it so, didn't. So, like, that would be kind of fun, like the Warlock films maybe, but, like, uh, yeah, they're, 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 I'm not saying that, like, that there isn't quality VHS stuff out there. It's just, it's, it's, you, there was limitations uh, and limited expectations too, right? So, like, we ended up watching, I'm pretty, well, we watched Dolly Dearest. Was that the film? Yeah. Um, don't think that ever made it to the theater either. No, you I don't know? think it like, did either. So, yeah, I think it would be fun to try to actually see if there's actually gold in those hills, you know, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I just think. Well, it, we got yeah. another, you know, 800 until we reach 1,000. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's going to do it for uh, episode 200. Uh, it's probably like 205. I mean, I know we've had other uh, other episodes, but this is the official number 200. It's been a lot of fun. Um, Star Hunter, you know, not a lot of fun. Whatever. Uh, again, thanks to Ash Crowland for coming on and talking about his book. And uh, and thanks to Steve for putting it out of the wheel of death and people that voted. Like, uh, screw you all. You owe me three bucks. Uh, next week, 
We are going to be talking about Glow Season 3, which Steve has already watched. I have not watched yet because I was too busy I, watching Star I'm Hunter. not all the way through, but I watched a good chunk, yes. I had to fight my urge to watch it because I was like, I just wanted to dig in because I love that show. So I, you know, so I just watched Star Hunter. I'll watch Star Hunter again now. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we're going to talk about uh, Season 3 of Glow. It's available on Netflix right now. Uh, it's probably like maybe five hours worth of television, if that. Yeah, um, it's 10 episodes again this season. Yeah. Some of the episodes run a little longer than your standard half hour or 22 minutes. But uh, uh, spoiler, um, as much as I liked last season so far, I'm actually liking this season even more. Wow. So it so. keeps stepping up. Cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, if you guys have not checked out Glow yet, uh, just I cannot give it the highest recommendation. And I will see, we'll see Steve's initial uh, reaction, see if they hold Yeah, true. hopefully it doesn't tank towards the end. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, all right, let's go do it for us this week. Uh, have a great week, everybody. Uh, be safe and um avoid star hunters i don't know that's that's not a good good thing but yeah thank you guys for being here for 200 and may we be here for uh, one gazillion more that's a real number right sure yeah sure